Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the reunion of Final Fantasy VII Remake Podcast. I am your host, Kai, and joining me once again today is my co-host, Viz. How are you doing, Viz? Hello, everyone. I'm still a bit exhausted from reading a very special book. And finally, after what feels like months, I found time to finish it, and I'm really, really glad I did. Which book? You'll know soon. (laughs) That's awesome. So I guess it's a great time to announce right now. So we're super excited today because we do have an extra special guest here with us today. It's MJ Gallagher. Welcome. Hi, guys. Uh, Thank you so, so much for having me on. Um, I really appreciate uh, being here. I've I've actually been a fan of the show for the last year or so. Um, I tune in for every single episode, so I'm I'm delighted to to finally be able to uh to to sit down and have a, oh, a proper wow. conversation with you guys <laughs> um i actually um i knew about this the the reunion podcast before i even knew about cosmo canyon observatory so that's how popular the podcast is oh wow so okay in your face oh, wow thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i guess i should quit cco and start full-time the reunion podcast most edit here first exactly. <laughs> listen <laughs> I'm totally okay with that. Let's split the workload here. <laughs> like you don't already have enough to do, Fizz. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. CCO could just be community-led. You could just retire from that project and come full-time on uh, on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Just let it let, let Pulse of the live stream yes! with uh, Peeps, Nibbles, and Scooter Commercials run. Run the thing. <laughs> <laughs> No one needs analysis. Yeah, as 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 amazing as uh, Pulse of the Light Stream is, I think a witch hunt would be uh, set out against me if you stopped making videos on my say so. Yeah, so, probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Well, we're both super excited to have you here with us, MJ, and we can't wait to talk to you about your book. And uh, I just want to remind everybody: the best way to support us here is to like, sub, and share the podcast. Hop on over to our YouTube channel and subscribe if you haven't already done so. And also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts, because we're available on pretty much all of them. Also, if you guys don't already know this, we are giving away a digital deluxe edition of Final Fantasy VII Remake, integrate to one lucky listener. So here's what you have to do. You have to go to our Twitter profile at reunion underscore podcast and follow us there retweet or quote tweet the original giveaway posting that's actually pinned to the top of our Twitter profile. And the winner will be drawn the day before Intergrade releases on June 10th. And I changed the uh, announcement date because I realized that obviously it comes out on the 10th. So we should choose the winner the day before. So it has time to download, obviously. And if people, you know, decided to pre-order the game or whatever, they end up winning, they can cancel their pre-orders. So Also, I'm super excited to announce that we are also giving away a signed copy of MJ's book, Norse Myths, That Inspired Final Fantasy VII. And what you have to do, it's the same exact process for our Digital Deluxe Edition giveaway. So follow us on Twitter at Reunion underscore podcast, retweet or quote tweet the original giveaway posting about MJ's book, and we will draw the winner in two weeks. From today so fingers crossed so make sure you check out all of our socials for that as well all right viz so what's been going on over at cosmo canyon observatory uh quite a lot actually so 
as you might might know from uh, last episode or from my YouTube channel, that Pulse of the Livestream is a new thing. And now besides news and community news and other stuff, they also started doing a series called Assess mm -hmm. Materia, which is basically a series of interviews. And the first interview that dropped um, around a week ago or so is the interview with yours truly, kind of for a kickoff and to, to get to know the strange purple alien a little <laughs> bit better. But there are a lot more to come. Mm -hmm. So there are already a few in the pipeline. And the preview, which is for patrons only, should drop soon, I think. I need to check back about the schedule. But on, on our Patreon page, you'll get it at least three days early, the audio-only audio, audio only okay. version. And then three, four, five days later or something like that, uh, the full video version drops. Which is a little bit edited, but the most fun is, of course, just... Uh, what you mm -hmm. hear, so just listen to the video is also fine. <laughs> but Rima does a really good job of um, of editing the video with uh, a lot of humor. Yes. <laughs> so please check that one out. And the next news segment is also on the horizon, if I'm not mistaken, in a few days, I hope. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, because I'm, I'm keeping myself out of the loop because as soon as I start integrating myself, I, I lose more time, so mm -hmm. I try just to let let them be and be a slight consultant maybe so that's that and but what is really important for my part is that i finally 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 finished the script for the gargantian analysis <laughs> on <laughs> new elements uh, which pertain to cloud and sephiroth especially to cloud's new memory glitches mm -hmm. and future uh, visions of the future all the new juicy sephiroth appearances when and what everything means so it's really, really long. Probably will uh, turn out to be over three hours, the whole thing. So we'll split it up into maybe seven, eight or mm -hmm. so parts. Sleep Easy is sitting there looking at that and laughing. Eight parts for three hours. <laughs> yeah. Sleep Easy is just sitting listening to this with a cigar laughing at you for splitting it up. Into eight <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh my god! Yeah, he's in in I don't know a really uh, special place that it can just wait two to three months and then release a three hour video. I t tend to try and turn out a little bit more often, so <laughs> it makes a little bit more sense. And also, Rima will kill me if she, if I told you, <laughs> hey, just edit those three and a half hours. Right? Oh my goes. gosh, she's doing so much, <laughs> and then I'm putting her to work as well. So shout out to Rima because yeah. she's absolutely definitely yeah. She's working hard. <laughs> Definitely. And she's always says she's the lazy one. Well, <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's about that. And also I plan to uh, start recording or fi finishing and analyzing and then recording the rough analysis of the latest intermission Ooh, trailer. Okay. I already made uh, a lot of notes, but I need to do more and prepare the visuals. So I think I just mm -hmm. uh, start recording and... Show the thing. There's a lot to talk about. Oh again. my gosh! Yeah, I I, I can't yeah. wait to, um, you know, hear your rough analysis video of that trailer because it was absolutely crazy. And when I watched it, I was like, oh my gosh! I just wanted to kind of pick your brains about it, which we're gonna be doing on today's episode. So just going on into it here. So today we are going to be talking about that crazy Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrated Final Trailer that was released on Thursday last week. We will also be, be discussing the first Soldier livestream event that happened. 
And that was when the final trailer was shown during that event. And also any new info or details about Intergrade or Intermission and also the Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 2 information that we kind of got a little bit of information from Nomura during that event. And also Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrate as a PS5 exclusive. Hmm. We'll see. And also we'll be discussing MJ Gallagher's book, Norse Myths. That inspired Final Fantasy VII and his upcoming projects. But before we start our conversation about that, MJ, I just want to go ahead and ask if you could tell our listeners who you are and maybe share a little bit about your experience and background with Final Fantasy VII. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so again, uh, I'm MJ Gallagher. Uh, I'm also known uh, in the community as Mo, or originally, um, way back in the day, uh, I was known on the livestream.net as S and G. Um, so my my introduction to Final Fantasy VII actually came very shortly after it was released. Um, I eventually decided that you know, I was going to try my hand just uh, uh, sort of writing fan fiction uh, to do with it. Mm -hmm. uh, eventually built up some courage to, to sort of post it online and uh, it, it gained a little bit of traction. Um, years and years ago, I was part of uh, adventchildrenforums.net, which was actually the predecessor to the livestream.net. So I've actually been a part of that community for, for almost 15 years now, um, which it sounds crazy to say, but you know, it's, uh, it's yeah. I've been going for a long, long time. Um, with regards to the, the fan fiction, one of the things that, that I took a real interest in um, when the, the compilation was uh, off and running um, was a lot of the sort of Japanese-only releases. Um, so Before Crisis mm -hmm. or the uh, the online mode of Dirge of Cerberus. And I had a lot of access at that time to people who were living in Japan and actually playing the game. Okay. Um, so I, I sort of took a lot of notes and, and posted a lot of content online uh, to, to do with that. Uh, and like, like I said, the, the purpose of that was really just to, to incorporate it into my own fan fiction. Um, but, you know, I just uh, as, as a sort of offshoot of that, um, when, when I started posting articles about information that I'd... I'd managed to gather uh, little did i know that you know <laughs> 10 years later or whatever uh, it would become the sort of go-to source for an awful lot of uh content specific or in particular uh the the dodge of cerberus online stuff um mm -hmm. so I, just as a sort of indirect result of my participation within um the the livestream.net uh, i i eventually sort of published a, a couple of volumes of my final fantasy 7 novelization um and was invited to the first coopercon in the uk uh, which was in london back in early 2017 um one of the, mm -hmm. the lead organizers alan kenny um had also been an active member of the livestream.net for a number of years and he and i were were, were good friends so he invited me down um just to, to do some book signings because the first volume in my novelization was, was being given away as a sort of loot item to their VIP guests. Oh, right. Um, nice. So that, that was that was sort of where everything really started to take off for me. Um, I, I met an awful lot of uh, different members in the community, got to, to hang out with some of the, the um, actors or voice actors who'd, who'd at that time um, contributed to the sort of Final Fantasy fifteen universe um so the the very first uh, event that i attended uh, was alongside ray chase who's the voice of noctis um, right. john campling who is the the face of 
Kim Regis and Liam Mulvey, who's the the face and voice of Libertas. Um, and it was it was a, a massive success both for me personally and and for mm-hmm. the Final Fantasy community. So, um, you know, we 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 kept going. Another book, um, of mine was was given away the following year, at the the next London event, and it was sort of round about that time I ended up in a conversation, um, with. Uh, Alan and Alex Main, the sort of uh, the the Kubocon chief, um, about producing mm-hmm. a novel that that was going to be, you know, for all intents and purposes, exclusive to Kubocon, and that's where, that's okay. where the Nibelheim incident came from. Um, so we we started working on that, and I I managed to rope in sort of community artist Crimson Sun and AJ Hately, uh, who's one of the owners of the sort of gaming merchandise company Game Tea Limited. Mm-hmm. Um and we, we we put together the the Nibelheim incident and you know it was uh, w- within that community it was massively successful uh, and it, it sort of over time started to filter out into the wider community uh, and I, as mm-hmm. as a result of that um sort of got a wee bit of recognition uh, I guess um from from the the community for for the the sort of writing the Final Fantasy VII writing that that I was producing. Um, you know, it was popular enough that CooperCon later commissioned an audiobook version of it, um, which again mm-hmm. was was read by Liam Mulvey. Um, and as as sort of time went on, I started thinking that you know what what can I do here? The all my projects were non profit. Um, you know, just it was it was for the joy of writing and. Um, mm-hmm. being able to to sort of produce something that that we could give away, you know, and make it accessible to anyone, um, and you know, obviously we we were limited by copyright anyway. But the the the, yeah. the whole joy of it for me was was being able to produce something that that other people might enjoy. Um, but as as time went on, and you know, I, I started a family. It was sort of more difficult to justify uh, spending all that time writing books and not actually mm-hmm. uh, making anything from it. So I, I started to turn my attentions to something that I might be able to um, sort of get a little bit of income from. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe about 10 years ago, I'd worked as a, a travel writer um, in the cruise ship industry uh, based out of New Zealand. And it sort of gave me the confidence to think, do you know what, I'm actually just going to go for it. I'm going to try and get myself into a position where I can, you know, write for a living or or at least a partial income. And I thought, you know, I, uh, maybe about 18 months ago, um, I'd been spending a lot of time looking at mythology. That's, that's a, a, I'm very interested in, in global mythology and at the time, very interested specifically in Norse mythology. So I started mm-hmm. writing some blog articles about how Norse mythology appears in the Final Fantasy series and then sort of um, honed in a little bit on Final Fantasy VII because that's that was where my area of, of knowledge lay. And the more that I wrote, the more I started to realise, you know, hold on, there's actually enough content here to, to maybe produce <laughs> a book. Um. And you know it was it was like one of these light bulb moments of okay I'm looking for something that I might be able to produce uh, to to sort of help pay the bills. Well, look, I happen to know quite a lot about Norse mythology. I happen to know quite a lot about Final Fantasy VII. The two are connected. <laughs> uh, so yeah, screw it. I'm just going to go for it. 
Um, and you know, the next thing we know, uh, Norse myths that inspired Final Fantasy VII come into existence. Uh, so uh, alongside that, you know, I, I've never really stopped working with CoopaCon. So one of my other recent ventures has been yeah. um, the the Easter eggs series um, that I, I do with them, just a sort of chapter by chapter breakdown. Um, because I've got a, a pretty strong background in the actual compilation lore, there's there's a lot of things that I was able to mm-hmm. uh, to to point out that um, sort of the casual fans may have may have missed, and that's that's something that I've had tremendous joy with um, as well. Just you know, I'm, I'm sure Viz is exactly the same. That being able, although there's a huge amount of effort and time that's involved in these things, you, there's a, mm-hmm. also a lot of satisfaction that comes with it. Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's basically you know the last the last year of my life has been um, getting the Norse myths that inspired Final Fantasy VII out into the world. Uh, I'm just working through my my video series, so um, I'm I'm very happy with. Um, you know, the the, mm-hmm. the success of the book has been far beyond what I anticipated. You know, I I was I would have been grateful for a pat in the back and someone to tell me that they really enjoyed the book, but um, <laughs> you know, so far it's the the feedback has been phenomenal, and I'm so humbled by it. And you know, I I would just like to go on and and keep producing more and more. Mm-hmm. That's really good to hear, and. Uh... You earned your pat on the back. It's it's, it's a really good Thank book. You. I enjoyed it thoroughly, uh, reading it through it yesterday and today. Wow. <laughs> you read through the whole thing in two days? That's amazing. <laughs> uh, not quite. I think I started at page 50 or so because the introductory chapters where I go through uh, Norse mythology and the compilation as a, yeah. a basis for the rest... I read that in uh, on on a train ride a few a few weeks back, and since then I didn't have time because there was so much to do. But now, since the script was done and um, there was kind of a little bit of a breather this week, and I thought, well, we have you on, <laughs> need to read this, and uh, I'm I'm glad I found the time. It was a really really good read. Oh, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you, Viz. And I'm also thinking about uh, buying the hardcore book um, mm. when it's out. Is it already out? It's not yet. Um, we're, we're still maybe a couple of weeks away um, from that being released. There's, uh, there's, there's oh, just I a couple of, uh, more, a couple more sort of T's to mm-hmm. cross and I's to dot. Um, but I'm, I'm very excited about it because right, right. I've never actually seen, um, up until last week, I've never seen... Uh, a book of mine being produced in hardback, so that was that was really quite cool uh, to to sort of see the quality of it and the artist uh, Kaylee Henderson has has done a phenomenal job mm-hmm. um, in in sort of putting this together. Um, but the you know the, the the hardback copy of it is is it's not just a sort of one for one um, copy of of what the the paperback or what right. the initial release was. Um, there's there's a good sort of extra thirty pages in there of just sort of behind the scenes content or extra ideas that just never made the final cut. Um, and some of them, oh, nice. Some of them, I think, are are quite cool. Like um, talking about uh, the connection between Aerith and the the sort of CRSs of of Viking myth um, culture. Mm-hmm. Or there's there's a chapter. Um, which has never actually been made public anywhere before. Um, that that sort of talks about all the connections between Cloud and Thor, mm-hmm. um, and there there Ooh. are actually quite a lot. Um, but it's 
you know, they're all sort of fun connections rather than anything sensible, which is why it never made the, the actual the book itself. But yeah, <laughs> for example, Cloud uh, defeating the Zolom or well, the yeah, Midgard Zolom. That, that's one. And there's um, when they find, I think I did mention this in the book that um, when when they actually find the dead Zolom. There's there's that sort of flash of lightning in the background. Yeah. Um, oh right, yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, that's that's really cool detail. Um, you know, kind of lightning is associated with Thor, who was the, the arch enemy of uh, the Midgard mm-hmm. or Midgard Storm, which is what the Zolom is based off. But there's yeah. other things as well, like um, the story of Thor having to to dress up as a bride to get his hammer back. Um, <laughs> you know, that's uh, yeah, that's that, really that fun. Yeah, ties really <laughs> nicely into the cross dressing uh, series. Um, yeah. But there are other bits and pieces um, that I I won't I won't go into uh, right now just just so that I'm not spoiling it for anyone. But um, there's there's a <laughs> yeah, there's a lot sure. of really cool really cool fun comparisons. I actually had a lot of fun uh, putting that one together. Um, and there's there's various other bits and pieces as well. That's um, the the ideas are there. And I think once you've read the book, you can see where the ideas have come from. But they're they're maybe too abstract. Uh, to to have had them in the in the main in the main book, but it's um, so there's there's definitely there's definitely more, or it makes the hardback book worth buying. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and there's there's some uh, early sketches and a couple of extra pieces of artwork um, in there as well. So it's more of a sort of collector's item. Let's see. Mm, very exciting. Definitely getting this. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and you also had a, I think, an ultra limited edition version of the Nibelheim incident, right? As well, that was available, I think, during the KupoCon event afterwards. But it had sold out multiple times, like extremely fast. So I wasn't able to get a copy of that, unfortunately. That was really crazy, actually. I've, um, like I sort of mentioned earlier, um, when when we put together the Nibelheim incident, the the agreement always was that the the printed copies would be exclusive to. Kubicon events. Oh right. Um, and and that that was the case. You know, one of the one of the selling points um for buying a, an upgraded or a VIP ticket was that sometimes it was the only way to get your hands on a copy of the book. Um, right. and other times, um, you know, I I would be on site and um we'd kind of put it together as part of a package because we could never sell it. But there was. You know, the, I think just because the community became really quite enamoured by the project, and it, it was a sort of limited edition mm-hmm. item, um, having having me there to to sort of give the books away or to to sign the books sort of became a, a wee bit of an attraction, um, which you know was for me it was everything I ever wanted, just that like recognition, I guess, of of the hard work that I put mm-hmm. into it. So. Um, I was I was absolutely delighted, but obviously through um, COVID nineteen, the events themselves have have been postponed for, yeah. for the last year or so. Um, the last one was was back in uh, February twenty twenty, um, which just by pure chance happened to be in my home city of Glasgow, Scotland. Nice. Um, which is where I I met John Bentley for the first time. <laughs> Um, oh, so it wasn't the Spyro convention. So, so where did you get that vis? Jeez, yeah. <laughs> we don't talk about that's this. A, that's, a, that's a crazy idea. Um, yeah. So I, I met I met John and spent a good bit of time with John. Uh, and uh, as, as it happened, um, Kubicon had set up uh, 
a few sort of remake launch parties. Yeah. And they did one in Vancouver. Um, which did you did you attend that one, Kai? I did. I went to the one in Toronto. So, oh, it was Toronto you went to, right? Okay, so yeah. you got to meet John there as well, yeah? Mm-hmm. Right, so Pontus and I went to the London one, which was, I think, like 48 hours after the Toronto event. Uh, yeah, it was. Something, something crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, and John, John flew over for that one as well. So um, it was it was absolutely brilliant to be able to spend time with him, but it was the last time we were able to sort of give the book away. So Alex and I have been discussing for, for quite some time how we might mm-hmm. you know, uh, achieve this, and particularly because very recently we came to the end of the audiobook. So we wanted to do something that, that celebrated that and the anniversary of the remake you know, just nice. seemed to, to fit the bill. Um, so of course, because it was going to be an anniversary event, we wanted something different. Alex decided that the best way to do that would just be a special edition um, version of the book. So we got... Mm-hmm. Um, Got AJ Hately uh, to provide some some more artwork. It was actually very closely based on the first piece she ever did for us. Okay. Um. So, uh, I I think the the cover itself is is absolutely stunning. AJ is a phenomenal artist. Uh, she used to work with Penguin Books. Okay. Um. So she actually she has a background in in book cover design. Um, and you know <laughs> when it went on sale, we. We had the discussion and we thought, you know what, just because rather than it being Kubicon exclusive or um, or Kubicon community exclusive this time, it's, it's open to the, the sort of wider community. We don't mm-hmm. know how it's going to be received. A safe bet might be to, to sort of order 50 copies and just draw a line under it that way. Just a, a special little item for anyone that's interested, but we, we don't need to do any more than that. So of course, when it went on sale, it, it was two seconds it was available <laughs> for. So the first fifty went in two seconds, which was absolutely crazy. Um, That's really crazy. Yeah. Like I hadn't even typed up a tweet to put out to say, "Okay, now the books are." Yeah, that <laughs> was so so fast. Oh boy. Um, and the same thing when they released the second one. Uh, it, it was something like ten minutes or whatever. Um, it took for for the next fifty to sell out, and they were like, "Right, okay, we're actually we're still in the middle of the stream. Let's just do it a third time." Um, <laughs> and that one took just over an hour to sell out. So I think by the time like Final Fan TV did the anniversary stream as well, that I right. jumped on last minute, which Viz was part of. It was the first time that Viz and I ever got to to speak to one another. Um, yes, sort of video or or audio wise. Um, mm. so that was literally as the guys were getting ready to hit the button to go live, uh, I, I joined in, um, and, you know, it was, it was, I was in such a high, um, but, <laughs> yeah, if you watch the video back, um, I mean, I think there was, there was a bit of rum in my, my glass as well, that might have contributed, <laughs> but, uh, you, you, uh, you, you you should be able to see me sort of riding riding that high for for the the first part of the video. It was <laughs> I was so so thrilled that you know um, the people had shown that level of interest, and I don't think mm-hmm. as a as an artist or as a creator you can really ask for anything more than that. So I'm yeah. enormously grateful to to anyone that did pick it up because it's not you know at the end of the day it's just, it's just a bit of fan fiction you know so, <laughs> yeah 
there's no getting away from that. Still, there are a lot of fans. Mm-hmm. So it's, I'm just, I'm, I'm enormously grateful, as I say. Um, yeah, it was, it was quite the experience. Oh, I bet it was. Yeah. That now this explains why you were so so chatty and funny <laughs> at the, in the first half hour. Or so <laughs> it was really really yeah, good. I'm not usually there. funny. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for going into detail, sharing your background about how you got started, you know, as an author. And um, I know Viz and I were both super appreciative that, you know, you are here with us today and that you, you know, took the time away to be here to talk about your history, you know, about uh, with Final Fantasy VII. And also, like I said, your history getting started with, I guess, fan fiction. I think that's so interesting. And, you know, just to look at where you've come from as well, you know, being part of the livestream.net and your background with uh, Joseph Service Online and getting involved with KupoCon and just, you know, the path that you've taken to get to where you are now here today is absolutely incredible. And, you know, over time, you've kind of you. become this beacon in the community, you know, and, and now also with your your YouTube content as well. You know, it's, it's great content. It's it's amazing. Um, on top of the fact that you know your your books are incredible as well, and I know that for me, I, I'm just so um, appreciative that you know you you are here with us, and I'm super excited to talk to you today about you know Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VII remake. Thank thank you so much. That's that's extremely touching. I I'm so glad that we're not actually on video. You'd probably see the tears in my eyes right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, audio is a little bit easier to edit. So for the time, for this foreseeable future, we're going to be staying audio because we talked about this multiple times. It's just so much extra, extra editing. And, you know, I just, I just don't have the time to be able to do all of that. And absolutely. Yeah, it's a lot. And this is a passion project for me. So it's just, you know, like I'm doing this, you know, I'm like you, you know, when like you said you started out writing fan fiction and everything you're doing it's just you're doing it as a pastime right because you're passionate about the franchise you're passionate about final fantasy and you're just kind of doing it on your own time which is essentially what i'm doing as well and viz as well because we both have our jobs and we're both you know have our day jobs (laughs) you know Um, you can't can't quit your day job like my grandma said and I'm, you know, again, just from from a listener's point of view, thank you for for the efforts and the time that you've put in because it is a phenomenal show. Like like I say, I've listened, I've listened to every single one. Wow, uh, thank for you. The last year, it's, I, I do look, I do thank look you. forward to them. Um, so please, as as long as the passion is there, please do keep going. Thank you so much for oh, saying we that. Will. Thank you. <laughs> and we're so glad to know that you've been enjoying it, even like the super long, ridiculous episodes where, you know, <laughs> we're just kind of, <laughs> we're just constantly just rambling and spiraling out of control. And it's just so nice to know that, you know, you listen to every single one. So, of course, that helps a lot. <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, speaking of every single one, I, uh, for now, also uh, looked or watched every single one of your breakdowns of the of the individual remake chapters, oh, yeah. and they're really really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I learned learned also a lot of new uh, details, mm-hmm. mostly connections to uh, compilation mm-hmm. lore I forgot or just didn't think of, because I I I played through all the compilation I could. Also watched um or played through uh, the RPG Maker of version of Before Crisis. Mm-hmm which probably isn't the most ideal <laughs> one, but 
But still, in comparison to your uh, knowledge, I'm just like a, a little newbie <laughs> newcomer, <laughs> kind of. I'm just ready to be schooled. I'm just ready to be like taken to school. Come on. <laughs> yeah. But again, I, I have actually been uh, doing this for 15 years. So to be fair, I have a, quite the head start on you. True, true. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But thank you for saying so. It's, um, you know, I, I, I love... I love producing these videos. It's it's something I would I would have done anyway. But you know I'm very grateful to to Alex Main and and to Cooper mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. uh, for for financing it. So it's uh, oh it's, cool yeah. I, again, I, I'm just sometimes I have to pinch myself for for actually <laughs> being in this position. You know, it's it has, it has taken yeah. a lot of hard work to get here, but it, it certainly it certainly feels as if I'm, I'm uh, getting somewhere. Yeah, that's good to hear. And I've literally just finished, like, this afternoon, finished the script for the new one, uh, which the first half is uh, basically talking about uh, the the relationship between Wutai and Avalanche, and the second half is all about Kyrie. So believe oh, it or okay. not, there's 15 mm. minutes of content on Kyrie. Nice. Oh, that's good. That's good. I still need to to read this uh, The Kids Are All Right uh, novel. Same. I'm I'm so bad at, at reading <laughs> stuff. I keep forgetting to read it, and then the day's over again, and week is over, mm -hmm. month is over. I still haven't read it. Do you know what? It's, um, <laughs> it's actually it's a really really good story, particularly if if you're a compilation fan or or just a mm -hmm. sort of deep lore mm. Final Fantasy VII fan. Um, I I actually personally preferred it to uh, on the way to a smile. I, I thought it was just oh, okay. a far more enjoyable story. Though the the only caveat to that is um, Najima's writing style is quite difficult to get used to, so it does take maybe mm. twenty pages or so to, mm. you know, it it is very um, it it slow yeah, start. It, it doesn't it doesn't like stop to give you any real detail about what's going on. It's it's just here here's a a couple of sentences and now we're somewhere totally different. Here's another couple of sentences. Mm, I it's see. The, yeah. the the pacing of it's really quite unique. I think. Um, so be aware mm. of that, but I I would certainly recommend it as a good story. Oh, for sure! I'll I'll try to to pick it up as soon as I remember and can. <laughs> yeah. Also, one one of the weird side effects of it is um, towards the end of the book. Uh, I I don't want to spoil too much about it, but it actually gives you a much deeper appreciation of Advent Children and how certain characters appear mm. in Advent Children or why they're there. It's uh yeah, it's it's definitely worthwhile. Yeah, I've heard a few details, yeah. I know of a, a few points here and there, but uh, not really the great picture and details mm. of uh, this book. So yeah, uh, buy it. Buy it now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, guys. So we are going to start here to talk about the Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrate final trailer that we got. Um, so I'm just going to go over everything, like just kind of my, my thoughts about the this crazy trailer because we got so much and honestly i wasn't expecting to get as much in this trailer i guess like as much revealed in this trailer is what i thought that we were going to get um it like i didn't think we were actually even going to get like a trailer like this i didn't know what we were going to get but i just wasn't expecting something like this but obviously you know I don't know, Square Enix kind of likes to spoil things in their trailers. Mm. I feel that's like a pattern that yeah. they've been on for uh, a little bit of time now. So anyway, so I'll just quickly go through what I what I saw. So uh, we, we saw so many new things. So the first 
that we got was a little bit of footage of uh, Vice in the VR sim, and it looks like he's attacking Cloud, Tifa, and Aerith inside the VR sim, so I'm not sure if this is VR mission confirmed, I guess we can say. Yeah. I think we knew it was it was coming um, from, from the initial trailer, that just because yeah. of the, the, the digital sort of flickering in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I guess uh, I guess now it's shown that yes, it's it's almost certainly going to be you know sort of chapter seventeen. Um, Hard yeah. mode, yeah. And you know, even, even the few seconds that we got of him, he he looks incredible. Yeah, he Absolutely does. He looks incredible. badass. Yeah. yeah, and he does crazy really high damage. Like because you can see the damage numbers, yeah. right? Like after. 6k yeah, 6.5k or something and i'm like oh my gosh i'm just gonna get schooled i'm I'm gonna have to <laughs> practice because i'm just not gonna be able to beat him i know it's gonna take me so long um but i'm up to the challenge it's okay you know uh, i've played those souls boring games that i'm just <laughs> in preparation for this mm, very moment yeah. i think i think we're all just gonna have to just watch baby seal do it <laughs> yeah probably yeah and <laughs> learn from him yeah i'll just have to watch those just like for strategies and builds you know what i mean yeah. so, yep, it's, exactly. it's only a matter of time before baby seal has a video <laughs> about how to beat vice with a baseball bat <laughs> <laughs> yeah shout out to baby in seal. one minute or something yeah. yeah oh my gosh and then also we got i think some new sephiroth dialogue i don't know if there was this, I, I read this online somewhere. I think it was on Twitter. Is this a new line? Cloud, lend me your strength. Let us divide destiny. No, here. this is, this okay. is the, the line from the um, uh, Edge of Edge of. That's creation. what I thought. Just taken but into But somebody this, yeah. did say that there was some new dialogue that they heard in the trailer. So I don't know if that was added just for the trailer or if it's actually going to be in Integrate or not. But anyway, maybe it's just a rumor. It's, uh, it de- definitely raises the question of whether or not we are going to see uh, any new cutscenes or or hear any new dialogue that's mm-hmm. been re-recorded? It's, it's certainly, I I think I'm with you that I didn't recognize the line straight away, but um, it it definitely got me thinking. You know, there's there's absolutely every chance that they're going to start throwing in little, yeah. You know, the there's there's something in particular. Uh, I won't go into what it is just now, but uh, in chapter fourteen, there is a suspicious lack of dialogue from some of the npcs okay um and i personally would like to see in some of those segments of the game it's, it's very possible that it was just to do with limitations on development time or whatnot that they were never included maybe yeah um so i would maybe like to see some of that fleshed out a bit um and if if they don't do it it sort of confirms a, a little theory that i have about okay uh well Okay, well, basically, um, in chapter 14, uh, when you leave Aerith's house, and for mm-hmm. the entirety of chapter 14, no matter how many side quests you do or, or, or whatever, every time you return to the leaf house, nobody speaks to you. Mm. Hmm. Have you noticed that? Yeah. That's interesting. Like, I not, don't remember and I that. Mean, not one single teacher or kid has any lines of dialogue wow i think i remember that happening but i didn't notice it as much as what until you just said that so that seems a bit suspicious based on who or what may be in the second floor at that thing mm. oh yeah that's true that's true interesting hmm. It'll so be... I, won- I, I wonder if that was just a limitation or if that's actually deliberate oh okay so maybe Integrate will answer that one for us. 
yeah, let's uh, let's see how it goes. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they do go back to put more dialogue in in certain areas or recording extra lines to put in to change mm -hmm. it up. I'm not sure, just to give maybe more information in the scenes even. But I guess we don't have that much longer to see. But I don't know where. I think it was just a rumor about the extra Sephiroth uh, dialogue. But I saw it on Twitter. I don't know who posted it, but it did sound like it was new. I couldn't remember hearing it in the game. So I I could also see this um this line being spoken in his first uh long dialogue with Cloud in Sector Eight. I think he also says says something. Uh, Let new strength. Right. <laughs> But I'm not not 100% sure because I'm bad at rem remembering Same. exact yeah. lines. I think the letters defy destiny together is right right at the end of the game. It's definitely chapter right. 18. Yes, definitely, yeah. But um, just just very quickly, I think um, I think this would be a good opportunity to, to include new NPC lines that would assist in tying the intermission story into the game. Oh, oh so yeah. yeah. You know, for having NPCs in the main story referencing events and intermission mm -hmm. that... That would be good, cool, really cool. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah, also, uh, ex-soldier on the livestream.net uh, created and published a really good article about um, how how he believes that that many things have been cut, especially from chapter 16 and 17, mm -hmm. or that they didn't have the time for many things and just made it look like this was meant to be, especially considering that the NPCs in chapter 16 had so many lines, like actual duplicate, duplicate lines from chapter mm -hmm. 14, from uh, Slum Citizens. Yeah. The same ones in, uh, on, in Shinra HQ, oh, you okay. um, walk past, have the same lines. Hmm. They just copy-pasted it because time, yeah, pro probably deadlines, time restrictions. Well, obviously they had to um, push, the, push the game back. A month originally, yeah, they did. Which, which we all assumed was was in relation to sort of what was going on in in Asia at the time. But yeah, you know, as 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 very yeah. possible that these were the last things just to get thrown in there. So with with a little bit of luck, um, there will be some some small changes um that mm -hmm. are made through yeah. Integrate, which I for one and I, I can't wait. And you know, I, as soon as as soon as the idea crossed my mind, Viz, you were the one that I thought of of if anyone's going to to create a video pointing out the differences between uh, remake and integrate, it'll be you. Yeah, yeah. If 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 I see there's their differences, I'm certainly going on a on a scavenger <laughs> hunt for more. <laughs> I think that would that's really interesting. Actually, that you said, you know, they could potentially go back and add things in for the continuity of you know integrate and going into intermission. I think that's super interesting. It would be. I think it would be super cool actually for them to do that. And then as we're going through the story, we're hearing things potentially about, you know, people maybe seeing this hooded, you know, girl or something, you know, just just yeah. stuff like that. So it <laughs> feels like, yes, it's it's happening concurrently during the story yeah. of Integrate when we're playing through it. Um, I haven't played I haven't I didn't finish my hard playthrough of remake because I want I was waiting to get a PS5. I haven't been able to get one yet. I don't have much longer. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping there'll be a drop soon. I'm I'm honestly I've got the money. I'm ready to just hit, you know, check out. I'm ready. And I just can't wait for this to come out. And when I go back to play it again, I'm gonna have kind of like I'll be more um attuned to looking for that kind of thing now that we've, yeah. you know talked about it and i'm gonna replay it beginning to end and 
I think I, I hope they do do that because I think it would add another element to it of just you know being genuine and the continuity there and i think that would that's a great opportunity for them to do that absolutely definitely or maybe playable red 13 (laughs) (laughs) probably not we've talked about this before but i just find it so for me it's a little strange that we're actually going to get to play as yuffie before red 13 because we didn't get to play as her until after so for me i think it's strange because it's not going to feel like I mean, this game didn't feel like playing the original anyway, because it's not the original, but you know what I mean? Mm. When you're playing it and the events do happen uh, quite in the same order as what they do in the original at mm-hmm. the beginning of the game, and then things kind of diverge later and there's added things to make it like different, right? But I think that it's kind of crazy that we're going to be able to play as Yuffie. It does make sense in the aspect of like what they're trying to do with the story of Intermission and, the, and this mission is happening concurrently. Like, with the with the remake story, I think that's cool, but I just feel like I don't know, I just feel like it's crazy that we're gonna play as Yuffie before we get to play as uh as Nanaki. I just feel like it's a little strange, but I'm excited. I don't I don't really care. I just feel like it's different, you know, it's not gonna feel the same. Yeah, I can can see what you mean. Um <laughs> the, um I just totally off at a tangent, I still love that little story about the, the battle mechanics developer uh, and the materia and Nanaki's collar. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's so, so funny. <laughs> they have, they <laughs> had to keep it in. <laughs> so, you know, you've, you've just got that bit of lore uh, or the kind of little story issue of why the hell does that beast have materia in a cell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just... Mm-hmm. But this the whole... In a hairpin makes yeah, no sense. Story yeah, exactly. It's really funny. But... <laughs> All right, so moving on to the next thing here in the trailer. So there's something that's called Wutai's famous Dachau beans that I don't know what they are or what they do. They kind of look a little bit like coffee beans, but they're larger. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, so Yuffie hands them to Poke and Billy Bob, and it looks like uh, GJ is there as well in the trailer. So she kind of hands it to them, and I don't know if they eat them. I don't know what they do. I feel like we could do a separate episode just talking about these <laughs> yeah, beans and what they sure, do. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys want to tell me what you think they do, if anything, or what their purpose I are. Think, like, I think uh, Wutai are playing are pulling a fast one here and they're actually tracking devices. Oh, okay. Hot take. Interesting. And, and that's, that's how uh, Yuffie knows they all die and the Sector 7 collapse because the, the signal goes out. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's actually a really cool idea. I've, I've actually just thought of that there and then. That was far too morbid. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> that's interesting, actually. I can see yeah. them doing that. Absolutely. I'm not sure what they are myself. Maybe they're, maybe she's trying to poison them all or something. <laughs> <laughs> but why would she do that? That doesn't make any sense. Maybe there's something. Make him high. Yeah. Maybe there's something inside that just makes uh, them I wonder like, drowsy if it's or like, something. Um, you know the, in Lord of the Rings, the, the elfin bread, lambus bread? You know, you, you take an, a, a little bite of it, but it f- totally fills you. I wonder if it's maybe like oh. a military thing for, for Wutai. Yeah, it's oh. it. It also reminded me of those magic beans in Dragon Ball Z or Dragon Ball itself. Okay, I think it's before that too. Yeah, because you you eat one bean and then you're like full health and 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 filled up and you feel great yeah. again. But if you if you eat two hmm. or more or something that that you feel like stuffed for hours and it's yeah. no good. Interesting. Maybe it's yeah. a consumable that she just has, 
that you can eat that does that like during the gameplay yeah maybe it's just Full a health. way for them to kind of integrate it into the story i guess so it shows her kind of like giving them out and then when you're in battle it's just a consumable she can eat it so you know what it is but mm. anyway i don't know maybe if it's if it's giving you full health and may, maybe that's why they survive plate fall still but yuffie doesn't yeah, know that it's, it's basically an elixir that yeah, oh. yes, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's super interesting, guys. Wow. Hmm. Well, I guess we'll find out not too much longer. So this game's coming out mm -hmm. in a month. So, but yeah, I was just, I remember watching it. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder. It's like they took time to show us that, you know, they focused mm -hmm. on it. Yeah. There has to be some kind of importance to it. I just don't think it's kind of like a throwaway thing. Definitely. So, uh, they, uh, they, surely they would not have called them the chow beans if it was a throwaway thing as well, you know? Like, this is mm -hmm. such a specific reference. Yeah. Maybe it's also on, on the level of uh, the Cosmo Canyon drink that Tifa makes Cloud. Yeah. This is also mm -hmm. pretty much in focus. Yeah. Or it's also meant to kind of like a, a welcoming gift. Oh, okay. To, to warm them up to her or something. Mm. I don't know. Maybe it's like a lucky charm. It's not even that they have to eat it. Maybe it's some... Or that. Kind yeah. of like... Um, maybe it's like a customary thing that when it's like you meet somebody new, uh, like of somebody that's not from Wutai, maybe it's customary to give them this and it's kind of like a special uh, token of friendship or something. Like, I don't know. I'm just kind of grasping yeah, at straws yeah. here whatever <laughs> but i just thinking maybe it's not even that they eat it because it doesn't show them eat it it kind of cuts away so it looks like they're looking at mm. it in their hand so i don't know it could be just kind of like a some kind of a memento or something like that yeah do you know what i hadn't even crossed my mind I, I hadn't paid much attention to it i can't believe we spent 10 times as much time on this than we did on the vice section but... yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's okay yeah. though. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, no, no one else is coming up with this content. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, sure. I, but I think they already came out and said that Vice is not going to be in the story, right, of intermission. So I feel like he won't be the boss, the final boss, right? That's for sure. So maybe they see him underground or sure, encounter yeah. him, but then they don't fight him. But he is a, a mm. VR sim mission. But um, I haven't seen anything to kind of show that. To give me the assumption that he's going to be um, like a big part of the story, you know what I mean? Because what from what they've shown, they haven't shown anything other than what looks like Vice as a VR sim. So, but it, again, you know, the we're assuming that the whole reason that he's in VR is is the connection to do with his SND abilities, which yeah. means that anywhere in the Shinra facility, if there's a monitor somewhere. There's no reason that he wouldn't be able to broadcast himself oh, onto the okay. monitor, so you might you, you might see that that's that's where he's introduced, and then it cuts to oh. his thro throne room, um, so that he would appear in a a cutscene. Um, in particular, you know, we've we've had this conversation before that Nero was quite far down the list of the possible Sviets that would actually show up. Um, mm. so the only one that was lower down was Russell, right. Um, so if, mm. if Nero's there, there's no reason, technically speaking, that all five of them could show up. Yeah. Uh, in which case... I'm actually hoping yeah, for that, and, yeah. You know, and I think, going back to the conversation you guys had at the weekend uh, with, with Baby Seal and Sleep Easy and Sector 6 Gaming, mm -hmm. you know, I, I also... I, I'm, I agree with the, the idea that 
as much as Square Enix have shown quite a lot of footage and they they have mm-hmm. spoiled some things, there's no way that they've shown everything, which means that wh- no. whatever the twist is, it's even bigger than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. So they, you know, and there are very few things that it could be. Kate Seth's one of them. Genesis is one of them. All five Suets is one of them. Um. Hmm. So I I I think by showing Nero. The, the same way that previously by showing Vice it meant anything's on the table by showing Nero like everything's on the table for sure because he's actually uh, in, in Sleepy's video he, he said it or claimed that Nero is probably the least likely because he's completely chained up and can't right. uh, do anything at that the point is, I, I, would, I would argue that that's not quite right and mainly because um, he, he is chained up and his darkness is when he's got his um his sort of straight jacket on. The point the point of the straight jacket is is it contains his darkness. But if you mm-hmm. if you remove the straight jacket or he manages to get his arms out, he can create a portal for himself using the darkness, which is how he manages to appear mm-hmm. in the trailer here. Rosso, mm-hmm. on the other hand, is very closely watched because she's crazy. Like she, she, she can't, yeah. she can't distinguish from friend or foe. She just kills everyone, mm. um, which creates a problem for those those people that are watching on deep ground. There's also a line about uh, back in uh, the original Dirge of Cerberus where Rosso says, "You know, this is the first time I've actually seen the sky," mm. which suggests right, that right, she's that she's thing, never actually yeah. left deep ground. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm pre- I'm pretty mm. sure where. This is where where Nero and and Scarlet have appeared. It's not actually deep ground. I think it's oh. just one of the the basement levels contained within the central pillar. Okay. So, Scarlet for for sure. Yeah, Nero, not one hundred percent sure yet. But Nero appears definitely after Scarlet, so he's deeper down. And I I presume it's it's very possible that they have actually gone into deep ground. But my my personal theory on this one is that they don't. They don't go to deep ground. It's deep ground comes to them. Or that, yeah, sure. It's also possible. Although the dome they're uh, in front of at the end of the first and at the beginning of the second trailer kind of does look like uh, the dome in Marco Reactor number zero where Vincent enters to then uh, descend yeah, to, mm-hmm. eventually descend it's to definitely, Vice. It's definitely possible, um, but it, it could also just be a dome. So... For sure, yeah. yeah of at, at the moment, I think everything everything's on the table. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, that's def, definitely the Scarlet. The Scarlet one is that the actual location is given in Chapter Sixteen of Remake. Yeah. So it's B thirteen. B thirteen. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I would I would be very surprised. And the the Turks are at B three, which all oh, right, yeah. Um, which suggests that B thirteen is not actually in or kind of uh, subterranean um levels yet so that that's that's my take and i i interpret this as nero showing up in the materia facility because the what yuffie's after is the materia so Mm. it wouldn't it wouldn't make any okay in in my opinion it wouldn't make any sense for to go to the materia facility and then go even further down into deep ground i think it would make more sense that deep ground came and acted as a basically a, a security guard for Scarlet's facility and somehow Nero appears there which 
would also explain why um why perhaps some of the other spiets are not there if that's the case if, mm-hmm. if it turns out that the spiets aren't there but um mm. and again everything everything's on the table just now so it's really really hard to predict uh, such yeah. details yeah. that's true that's what i was going to say now that they've shown nero and like everything they showed it just seems that anything is on the table right now you know and there are things that they aren't showing us on purpose and i totally agree with you they did show a lot a lot of people online it was kind of um i feel like it was a little divisive i guess because people were like they felt like it it was really spoilery the trailer so they didn't really want to watch it because mm-hmm. they showed a lot of stuff but i believe that there's a lot more that they haven't shown and i'm okay with it like i watched it i watched it multiple times but yeah i just think that like you said it could be that you know this isn't uh deep grounds you know they haven't reached it and it kind of looks like nero's broken out and mm-hmm. i don't know what is up with that but maybe he's out and the rest of them are still locked up you know like yeah well he is he's the only one that would be able to to travel out of deep ground without passing through a gateway mm. yeah that's what it looks like to me anyway, that he's broken out and he's on the loose. That's what it looked like to me. And they can't contain him um, and then somehow encounters the party or he's out there looking for them even, you know? And then there's a boss battle. Like, what do you guys think? Do you think we're going to get a boss battle for each member of the Spiats? Or like, what do you... That would be insane. It would be insane, that would be... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Um... They've already shown us three bosses, so I think three bosses over what is allegedly two chapters is mm. pretty hardcore anyway. Um, and, <laughs> and as we've discussed, we've, we haven't even seen how the how intermission ends, so there's very likely going to be a fourth boss as well. Most um, likely, yeah. So I I personally would actually be really surprised if you have to fight all the spheres. I think it's very possible that we'll see them. I think it's very possible oh, okay. that they will all appear in the VR. Yeah, that's, um, I was going to say that earlier, yeah. Oh, okay. Because Vice is then the last one and the others uh, come before him. Yeah, and right. e- even just by definition, you know, Nomura, what Nomura said is that uh, Vice is not the last boss battle Yeah, um, in Intermission. Mm. And if you look at... If you look at what's going on in the actual VR mission, where you've got Cloud, Tifa, and Aerith fighting Vice, it suggests that you're not going to have Yuffie and Sonon fighting Vice in the, mm-hmm. the main story because he's he's powerful enough that you need your three characters, you know, one of which right. is an ex-soldier, to to do it, or an alleged ex-soldier, to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> so if you follow that logic. You don't fight vice in intermission so if you don't fight vice there's no real reason to fight the others oh, okay mm. that, that that's my logic on it but besides nero who wakes up and then just goes where the disturbance is yeah yeah he, he yeah. says so, something to like of uh, who dares to disturb my sleep or something i don't know absolutely that makes remember sense. and there's no reason that he can't just disappear as quickly as he appeared and just bugger off back to deep ground again who mm. does disturb my sleep? I think you're talking about Diablos, but yeah, I know. I just <laughs> <laughs> I re- remembered that um, audition line as well, but it's it was something similar. 
but I, th- I think it, I think it's amazing that they have introduced it. I, I, I personally love this side of of, of the story. It's it's pretty crazy, but it is I I love, um, I love the the Dodge of Cerberus lore, and I'm so glad mm-hmm. that they've included it. But I mm. do I do hope that it's self contained. Like no, I I do hope that by the end of intermission, like the Dodge of Cerberus story has has gone back to bed because there's no real yeah. reason to have it anywhere else. And remake that is true, and I'm pretty sure they do it here in a sec in, in a separate DLC because one of my theories is that when the remake project ends story wise, the complete Final Fantasy VII story ends as well. So mm-hmm. no more Advent Children, no more Dirge of Cerberus. The story is uh, ended, done. Yeah, yeah. and uh, that's why they had to kind of integrate Advent Children stuff here already mm-hmm. yeah there's a Cerberus mostly in the dlc now and yeah that's it and the rest crisis court before crisis acts as a basis a foundation to interject everywhere where it makes sense for example yeah. in chapter one where they reference the uh the attempted murder of uh, the president yeah mm-hmm. i actually think there's an enormous amount of of content from before crisis they can inject uh just not necessarily the avalanche stuff um, because the, every single chapter in Before Crisis, you know, tells a little story about characters that we have already met. Mm, um, yeah, so there's, there's there's plenty of things that they can expand on, you know, to to sort of tell tell Before Crisis through a different medium, you know, more more like a kind of flashback medium, or or, or even just the the little references, Reference. exact, yeah. you know, exactly as the one that you've just pointed out. Um, and I, I personally, personally hope that Sleep Easy's theory is right because I think it's phenomenal. Um, oh yeah. So, especially regarding Rufus. Yeah. So uh, yeah, exactly. Well, the Rufus one um, is is almost certainly true. I, I mean the, mm. I mean how intermission finishes and how it ties into um, chapter seventeen. Um, mm. So if you haven't already watched Sleep Easy's video, I would recommend that you go and and do so. Uh, as as soon as you possibly can, it's absolutely phenomenal. Just make sure you have three hours of free time. <laughs> <laughs> you can go watch it after you watch after you listen to this episode as well, which is probably going to be three hours. Yeah, I was about to say <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I um I agree with you, um MJ. I think that also we had Baby Seal on our last episode and. We discussed this as well, how this is probably going to be contained with an intermission because like, there's not enough time that is going to be allotted to be given to you all of these characters to be able to have all of these story arcs like happening at concurrently, you know, like at yeah. the same time and for all of them to be, you know, like to pay, have a payoff in the end. I think that you're right. I think that this is contained with an intermission. And then essentially later in the subsequent parts, we might get references to events that happened during this mission um, to kind of like call back to the specific time. Also, we're getting Ever Crisis, which obviously we're going to have, um, you know, a Dirge of Cerberus story retold on that in that game um, redone. We don't know what the combat's going to look like. We don't know like what if it's just we don't know what it is. We just know it's going to be on mobile for the time being and 
I think that it's important for them to kind of introduce these characters now because they, I think they do have something to add to the story of Remake that obviously, yes, it's the same story, but they're going with a different direction. So if people go from playing, you know, Integrate and Intermission to playing Ever Crisis, they're going to know these characters uh, already because they would have been introduced to them in Intermission. And I'm talking about people who probably didn't play the compilation games or people who are new to Final Fantasy VII as a series even, because, you know, if you haven't played Dirge's Cerberus and these, or even just seven, your first Final Fantasy is Final Fantasy VII Remake, you're not going to really know who these characters are, but at least you have Ever Crisis coming out, which will allow for the opportunity for these people to you know, get even more story and lore behind these characters. And they would, they're easily identifiable and they would have been presented them in intermission. So I think it's smart. I think it's smart. And I think that you're right. I think that it's going to be contained within intermission. And we might get, like I said, some kind of callback later in the story, whether it's NPCs talking about them, other characters, I don't know, Yuffie potentially saying something about it. I don't think that these characters are going to show up and be given these huge story arcs like later in the remake series. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think we're going to see that. I don't think there's enough time. Yeah, there's, there's already enough. There's, there's already enough here in, in, uh, for, for the base story to be retold and expanded upon. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. All right, so our next thing here in the trailer that was revealed was Fort Condor minigame confirmed so um we kind of deliberated on our last episode with baby seal about you know what is this could it be a minigame could it be you know that it was just kind of like this underground board game and because they did explicitly say in the description i think for poke that it was like this underground um it's becoming more popular in the underground parts of avalanche i guess and midgar in the undercity um, of Midgar, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was so excited for this. I thought it looked really good and really cool. Um, obviously, there was an outcry online because everybody was like, oh, they're just replacing Fort Condor in the story and whatever. <sighs> and we, do, yeah. <laughs> we don't know that right now. But what we do know is that we're getting this minigame. And I think it's an improvement. I, I liked the original, but I feel like it looks like they really went there with you know like fleshing it out more and just it looks cool i think it looks refreshed i i think it looks amazing i'm actually really excited to you know get to experience this and play this mini game whether it has something to do with the story or not is to be seen i hope it does because i hope they take the opportunity now to introduce fort condor and eventually i think it's still going to be a plot point i think we're still going to go there but it might be that events play out, but we don't like when we get there, we don't control the units. We don't play the mini game when we get to Fort Condor because we've already played it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there might be like a cutscene that happens that's applicable to, you know, the story. And while we're there or something, I don't know if it's re- going to be removed or not. I hope not. I think it has value to the story. If there is a part of the story that is removed, like Baby Seal had said, I agree this would be the one to cut but there are people who did really love this location and i think i hope it stays it's a really interesting location as well yeah i I would be extremely surprised if they cut it it makes it makes sense that they have changed 
um, the the mini game element of it, um, because obviously the the original game, well, first first of all, <laughs> when you pass the Fort Condor, it's actually optional the first time mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder, I wonder if it's actually going to be optional here as well in remake. Um, second of all, the the actual mini game doesn't make any sense from when you, you sort of introduce the realism that the remake has. Um Yeah. So to to actually have the minigame separate where you still get to play that that little game. Um but you know you you're not it's not sort of interwoven into the story of what Fort Condor actually is. You know, it would it would be great if when you, you arrive at Fort Condor you're actually joining in with Cloud and, and Barrett and Tifa and the rest of them actually running out mm-hmm. to battle mm-hmm. some mechs yes. rather than, you know, just giving commands to exactly. some machinery. Yep. So and I think there's in, in terms of um what has been introduced already and the, the, the depths of story that have, have already been introduced, Fort Condor's art like it's an enormous one for the whole um setting the scene of freedom fighters and, and getting um, maybe you know addressing the the terrorism side of Avalanche, and well, here's here's people that that are actually putting up a stand against Shinra, but they're mm-hmm. they're not they're not doing it in a, an enormously violent way or a way that affects the lives of citizens. They're doing right. it, they're doing it in a way that you know you're you're fighting what's for what's right. You're fighting for the freedom of the planet. You're you're fighting for the the literally the health of the Condor. But you're you're not. It's not terrorism as such. So it might mm-hmm. it might play into the you know Barrett's journey in particular mm-hmm. of um, stepping back from the extremism side. Hmm. It's actually a really good point. Yeah. Also, another thought I had. Uh, I think I mentioned this uh, on Saturday stream um, with Baby Seal and the rest. That I can see Yuffie joining a group there, not just in some random tree uh, forest area or mm. something yeah but actually be part that that's the fort condor part is her introduction in part two yeah oh that's interesting there's there's also a very good chance that they'll actually she'll join in calm as well because the the, ori- the original story um the, the sort of the very very early version mm-hmm. um actually had the you were able to find the way that the way that it was planned was that you would find uh, bounty, um, mm-hmm. wanted a, a, posters, yeah, wanted posters, and whatever the like the wanted posters would give you, like what rank she was at, like her HP or and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, and whatever the last wanted poster you found was, that that was going to be your stats when you you fought her. So yeah, in, I remember that. Yeah, and in, in the in the very early version of the game like the first time that you would encounter Yuffie would actually be after Calm. So there's they might go down that route, particularly if mm-hmm. she's already been introduced in intermission. There's not really any reason why you would leave her out from there on in because there's not there's not a massive amount of development story wise that occurs between Calm and Fort Condor. Mm, that's true, yeah. So you you may as well just introduce her to the party there and then if players have already had access to her during intermission. 
Although my argument would be that uh, I think the player needs a little bit more time to focus on Red 13 first before we get yet another um, character, new character. Yeah, that, that's it. Uh, although we get to experience her combat in an in intermission already, so maybe this argument falls flat, but still, I personally would love to have her join after the Mithril Mines. And one other reason is uh, Calm and the Mithril Mine have connections, because you, you can buy the Mithril um, sabers and fists and uh, bangles, whatever, there mm -hmm. in Calm. So you could tie this to, to a bit of new lore, and maybe you need to um, one. There's one mandatory um, quest in the mithril mines to clear clear it out of some some dragon or what have you. Just yeah. help the miners there. Maybe there's a mining mini game where you can uh, mine stuff. Just gets the world building a little bit more going in between. Yeah, and mm -hmm. there's also uh, chocobos. Learn uh, how to chocobo, so to speak. There's Midgar Solom or Midgar mm -hmm. Sormer. I really hope they change the name. <laughs> yeah, me too. If if they don't, I'm gonna riot. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I think there's there's enough they could do and expand upon um before we get Yuffie in or around Fort Condor. Yeah. But I wouldn't be mad if they uh they let her join earlier, so that's that's not mm -hmm. my issue. Yeah, I th I I think you're right that from to be able to give the party a bit more time to to get to know each other with yeah. Nanaki before yes, throwing exactly. Goofy into the mix. I, th I think you're right. Mm. But who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Again, <laughs> everything's knows, yeah. on the table. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Genesis and Calm, all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Elfie. Or Elfie, yeah. 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 Just a random NPC. Nobody knows except the hardcore fans. Yeah. I would love, I actually, I really hope that by the time they get, you reach Cosmo Canyon, that's where Elfin and Verdo are. But... Or maybe they're, the, uh, is, is, it, um, is it known where they are hiding out? No. I don't remember. No, they, they, they're on the move um, quite a lot. Yeah, it's, it's confidential, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think only uh, Rufus, Scarlet, uh, Song, of course, no. Scarlet doesn't know. I think it's, it's only Rufus. Doesn't, I, I, th I think I read somewhere that she, that she also knows that they're still alive. Not where they are, maybe, but that they're still alive. Mm. Uh, Scarlet was not. Maybe I'm misinformed. Yes, Scarlet was trying to kill him. <laughs> so. Oh, um, I see. Okay. <laughs> so she, yes, yeah, they are specifically hiding it from Scarlet. Okay, okay. Oh, maybe that that's that's why I, I mixed it up. I read something and maybe was too tired to commit it correctly to memory, and now I'm I'm making a fool out of myself. I need really need to watch uh, Before Crisis again, yeah. like the, the the YouTube videos with uh, the English translation. That's it. Back back to school, Viz. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we talked a lot about Fort Condor. Anything else to add about Fort Condor, the mini game? I think it looks awesome. I can't wait to play it. And I did kind of go into a little bit more detail. It looks like you can see elite shock troopers, mm -hmm. uh, sweeper, armored shock trooper on the on the map. And then it looks like there's ATB bars. Kind of shows that there's different types of, I guess, like units. So we've got like a ranged unit or a tank, like defense unit, melee unit, or something like that. I don't know if that's what you what you got from it, Viz. 
so from uh, I don't have have screen right now in front of me, but from what I remember is uh, you have the same three types. Like it's the same uh, um, rock paper scissor principle as in the original. Right. You have the the defenders, mm-hmm. the attackers, and the ranged ones. And in the middle, in in the UI, you see the the circle of those three, like which is mm-hmm. good against which. So you know uh, about the weakness and strengths. Um, but what's new is, like you mentioned, the ATB bar. Seems like uh, both sides have eight ATB units, mm-hmm. which slow, slowly fill. And each unit you can uh, summon to the field have has a certain um, number, like two or five, which probably needs right. you have five ATB bars to summon this um, unit instead of buying it with Gil. Oh, okay. And what's completely new is additional um, spells. Like you have this yeah. cursor, this this uh, square cursor you can uh, freely move around. And then you can also cast one of those uh, magic um, spells at, okay. the, at at this location your cursor is. And then in the trailer, it's, it casts, I think, poison on the enemy. Mm. On, on, a, on a sledge worm. Okay. So you can... Uh, or was it regen, poison, barrier, and there was a third, uh, a fourth uh, icon, uh, probably something like repair or heal, but it wasn't yeah, in the list. It that was, popped up. It was like a heart with a plus sign yeah, on exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I put healing. I wasn't sure what that was, but yeah, pro- it's probably healing and repair, like restore. Yeah. 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 And uh, what else was there? All oh, right. There, there are actually three tower units you must defend: mm-hmm. a central condor and um, two little ones on the side. Yeah, which makes th- uh, things interesting because there's not just one um, mm-hmm. target, but multiple targets, and one str- a strong one and two uh, probably lesser targets. I'm I'm really interested in in how this turns out. Also, it looks like this it's it's a one v one, of course. You against the, the, the computer, mm-hmm. but what about online mode? <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's easy to just make this into an online multiplayer one v one. Yeah, about that would be cool. Have you checked any of the like the the PlayStation Five uh, advertisements to see whether or not it is on like online mm. capable? Oh. oh. Not sure if that's it, if it's available. Oh, it it should it should say that on the PSN. Uh, yeah, store, yeah. I think. I'm not I, sure. I don't remember seeing that, but store. I've only looked at it once. So, and I I wasn't looking for that. So, yeah, yeah same, same. Somebody online was saying that they're like Square Enix is probably gonna release like a mobile version of this or like a separate game of this that you can download potentially. Yeah, maybe an exact copy and an online with online functionality. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, but not in you know intermission. It's not, yeah. but it it would feel feel weird. It would be cool, yeah. but in, in in a DLC, you have a mini game which you can play online. As it's kind of on a separate device. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Well, I think that it looks awesome. I'm super excited to play this, and I think it looks incredible. I think that it's really given like a it, it's been given, you know, the time and attention that it. And the care that it needed, and I think it's refreshed. I think it looks awesome. So I can't wait to to play this again, and like seeing the specific units like on the battlefield as well, because it's actually enemy units, right? Mm-hmm. Because in the original, it was like these 
polygonal like triangle things like it yeah, the, yeah. The, your, your blue blue uh, soldier units. They were just different co- yeah. colors. Yeah, was, <laughs> yeah, they looked like garden gnomes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's yeah. good that it's like they actually have these, you know, enemy units. So I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's it's interesting that it's Shinra units against Shinra units. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this kind of um, chips away at my theory that it's actually <laughs> a game produced by Avalanche. Yeah, and distributed by Avalanche to okay. Uh, make awareness of what's going on there or, yeah, or it's, it's a, a meta thing about uh, rufus being in charge oh good yeah. good idea yeah sure why not <laughs> maybe it's made by shinra and it's been purposefully fed to the underground because they knew that it was gonna mm-hmm. kind of become popular and they want to manipulate people i don't know yeah, or or just uh, desensitize <laughs> them again. Uh, yeah, against this yeah. Uh, this war in Fort Condor, that it's just a yes. normal thing you play. That they know is going to happen exactly. So yeah. it's like preparing those people so they like desensitize or something. Yeah. Or preparing them for that for that moment, but it's just going to be. It's not going to be. I don't know. Anyway, I think that there's something that's going to play into the story here, whether it's like the strategy, you know, because Pogue's character description it does state that he's one for these strategies he's interested in developing strategies i think that yuffie is probably going to be like she's gonna she's gonna uh remember doing this and coming up with some kind of strategy and potentially help the party when they get to fort condor and they actually have to fight in this way she might have some kind of strategy because she would have experienced this and played this or something i don't know i'd like that yeah Yeah, maybe yeah so next up is actually there's a flashback that shows one of Scarlet's uh, machines actually attacking Wutai and it's killing Sonan's sister. Melfi is her name? Yep. She looks similar to Yuffie. People on Twitter were freaking out saying that it's Yuffie, but... No, it's not, but she does. She has a lot of similarities, yeah. (laughs) I I actually saw someone claim earlier that it was Yuffie's mum, which technically speaking would work timeline-wise if it happened at the beginning of the war. But Sonon is not that old, I think. Well, well the, maybe, I well, don't know. The start of the Wutai War was 15 years ago, and Yuffie's 16 at the mm. time. So um, I, I, don't, I don't think it's quite true. Um, in On the Way to a Smile episode, Yuffie, they do actually tell you what uh, Yuffie's mum died of, and I can't, off the top of my head, remember what it is. Okay. Um, mm. But, I mean, mm. it, could, it, yeah. could, it could just be... A lie that she told that actually Sonon is her uncle. Um, oh, and she <laughs> she has to kill him at the end. That would be that would be crazy. So yeah, here, here we are back in the morbid talk. But um, <laughs> yeah, this is what happens. Yeah, it's it's not impossible. I don't I don't think it's true, but it's not impossible that she is mm. actually Yuffie's mum because so yeah. Sonon did work under Godo or train under mm-hmm. Godo, so he would have every reason to know. Uh, Godo's wife. So, or maybe that's the yeah. connection. But I, hmm. maybe, yeah. But it 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 must have been at the very very start of the war because Melfi looks around the same age as um, Yuffie, like sixteen or yeah. so. Yeah, so I, I she would, looks really young. Yeah, we'd have to, yeah, would have to be a very young mother being killed yeah. very early in the war for it to work. But. Mm. 
it's a long stretch, but it's something to keep in mind. Yeah, so there you go for, for all the fan fiction writers out there. There's some <laughs> material for yeah. you. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. But what's what's very interesting about this scene, actually, three things. One cool thing is that um the the weapon of Scarlet is actually the uh, the prototype we fight in chapter five it is. Yep, the uh, the crab warden. It's the oh, exact really? same model. Is it really? Yep. I, I okay. didn't yep. that, yeah. It's that. Uh, it, it uses Motra magic, or at least looks like Motra magic. And Melfi has this this uh, pinwheel hairpin and yes. the pinwheel on her back, uh, on, on the jacket. Okay. So this means something. Interesting is that Yuffie's choke weapon is also pinwheel, but it probably has uh, has a, a deeper meaning uh, in Wutai yeah. or some some uh, Asian or Japanese reference. Well, there's someone uh, someone on Twitter yesterday actually gave me the answer to this. Okay, um, and it's to do with the pinwheel in Japan represents cycle of life. Uh, um, mm-hmm. In particular, oh, but, I think I read that. Yeah. Um. So I I knew nothing about this, but. Um, the the pinwheel is quite often associated with the Buddhist god uh, Jizo who mm. is in addition very closely associated with the, the death of children and Jizo mm. or, or Jizo apologies for uh, the, the pronunciation there I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how it's pronounced but um, the idea is that uh, he is there to protect uh, the children that have, that have passed and to help guide their souls Mm-hmm. So we're in a situation where our Yizo as well is quite often also shown with a pole arm. So we're we've got huh. we've got uh, Sonon's younger sister dying. She's got the pinwheel. He's got the pole arm, and yeah. the, the kind of common motif in Japan is uh, this Buddhist god Yizo. Who who's associated with both? So that that was an ex- oh, that's, that's an, interesting. That's an explanation that was given to me yesterday, um, which prior to that I knew nothing about this. So it's yeah, same. So if I've got any of the details wrong, there apologies. But um, yeah, that was I, I found that really quite interesting. So it is possible that the pinwheel is, has a, a wider connotation in the lore mm. of Final Fantasy VII, but it might actually just be. Um, a reference uh, to that. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of symbolism, mm-hmm. particularly for the Japanese audience of mm. this. She she is a young a young woman or a, close to a child who has who has died before her time. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's probably the most uh, most likely. I I suppose. Yeah. Uh, it's the cycle of life. You said right. Yeah, the pinwheel is associated with the cycle of life. Cycle of life. It means this means death and rebirth. Mm-hmm. And what's also interesting is that uh, her death um, happens at exactly the same spot where Sack survives. Like it's exactly the, the same um, level design all around. Do you see Midgar in the back in one shot? Wow. So she dies and Sack later survives. So this was also one of my hot takes last Saturday that. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, since Sack na- is now uh, alive, she had to die or something. <laughs> like this interconnected fate stuff. Wow. Timey wimey wibbly wobbly. <laughs> but this is just a spitballing again. Yeah, it's, it's massively interesting though. Mm. I think that she does look similar to Yuffie. I think that that was done on purpose because 
um, they gave us time to show us this scene. And then in the previous trailer, I think that we hear Sonan say um, something about her being his sister. And then she says, I'm not your sister. Yeah. So I think that gives more context to, I guess, this tragedy that he's had to endure. And mm. now he's probably been paired up with Yuffie on this mission and who knows if he's kind of been a mentor to her in Wutai previously to this or whatever and maybe he sees a lot of his sister in her so maybe he calls her his sister uh but she's she's not um and she you know wants to be independent she doesn't want to have to go with somebody else right she's she's I'm not sure. I'm just. I'm just trying to I, like. I, I think it's a good from a storytelling perspective. I think it's a very good way of creating conflict between yep. Sonon and, and Yuffie before, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Maybe later in the story, there's there's actual genuine conflict. But if you've yes. if you've already sowed the seeds of they're not quite in the same wavelength, it's much easier to deal with later on. Exactly. Maybe she says something to him, and she regrets, and maybe you know. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. Maybe he ends up dying at the end and she really regrets because she, you know, actually really cared about him, but she lost her temper and says something and now she can't, you know, apologize for what she said. Like, who knows? You know what I mean? But um, anyway, I think that it's important because they did take time to show us that scene. And in the previous trailer, we hear them talking about she's denying being a sister. So I think that that element's going to be there. I think they're going to talk like they're going to show us a lot more about that hopefully in the game once we play it um the background there uh and the conflict between them maybe yeah and it's i, I there's there's also the the possibility that the part of their mission is that they have the opportunity to stop the mechanism that brings down the plate but he's so driven by rage that he missed oh. that he misses the window which is why she mm. falls to her knees screaming that she could have stopped it but Sonon caused them not to. That makes sense. Mm. And maybe he knows that Scarlet, I guess her machine obviously is responsible for the death of his sisters. So Mm. then he's enraged. And like you said, is kind of distracted and lets rage take over and his revenge or whatever. And then he ends up dying and causing all of this. And, because I guess he's selfish for that one one moment because he wants, you know, revenge for um, yeah. Melfi's death even because, you know, it does show them with a boss battle with Scarlet, you know, and she's in this mech unit and she's uh, fighting them inside of it. And which is super cool, by the way, which is the next thing we're going to yeah. talk about here. <laughs> um, so who knows? Like that, I feel that adds so much detail and layers there uh, to the story. I think it's going to be heartbreaking from what we see yeah. in the trailer. I don't know, but it already, for me, I was like a little disturbed <laughs> by just watching the end. I was like, oh my God, like it sounds like it's going to be devastating. So, by the way, this scene heavily reminds me of um, Zach's death, like Cloud's reaction. He also has this uh, blood splotches in his yeah. face, and Sates or Neil's kind of the same, and also yeah. cries into the, the heavens, similar mm-hmm. to Yuffie. Yeah, somebody did a side-by-side. On Twitter, I watched somebody actually did a oh, side-by-side okay. of both, and it looked so similar. Yeah. Like, and I was like, wow. it's You know that they're when they're making this, they're like trying to do this, right? Mm-hmm. So they're adding these elements in um, as callbacks to you know 
other parts of the of the franchise um so let's talk a little bit i guess about the scarlet battle armor mech suit <laughs> because <laughs> for me i was i was like what i i was so excited for this and she's so sassy she's just you know dishing out these lines at them and she's i forget what she says now but it's really sassy and i love it i'm living for this moment i just can't wait to fight her in this suit she's she's so badass you know and then just put her in a mech suit like i just you know i feel like it's so cool anyway yeah i'm excited for that yeah for sure i think uh the the, the mech itself it's, it's such a cool design but it's like um mm-hmm. it's like if a sweeper uh yes had had a baby with the ruby weapon um yeah <laughs> or proud claws it's face thing like it's it has like a head kind of right so it's like it that it reminds me of that the evil guy from um which i think it's power rangers oh. where he has that um silver mask thing with the lines going down in front it kind of reminds me of power ranger the the evil guy not rita but like the red guy Anyway, oh, I was like, it's what? Been, it's been so long <laughs> since I, I, I watched that. I don't quite remember the faces, but yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Some of us are old, jeez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was stoked for this. I can't wait, but yeah. I, I anyway, still remember can... uh, rushing home after school to watch Power Rangers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, same. Yeah, same, oh, same. Boy. And Pokemon Indigo League. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, by the way, <laughs> a, a really a, two two quite interesting details just just for fun. Um, in one shot, uh, where we see her from the front and see her uh, sitting in her in her seat, the two green lights on both sides look like eyes, and the controls in front of her look like a mouth. So it's kind of like this where where she sits looks like a giant head, mm-hmm. so a weird demon or something. <laughs> okay, nice. Yeah, it's kind of strange. And also when she's staggered, she hammers with her right hand on, on this uh, circular uh, control unit thing as work, work, stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's also quite funny. Where's her Shinra grunt? <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe he's also sitting, sitting inside there and she rests her, f- her feet on him. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh my God, that would be funny. Yeah, or, or just sits on him. Do you guys, um, th- this is something that I grew up with and I don't think anyone else believes me. But uh, do you guys, you know, the did you ever call like have an ottoman as a kid? It was like a footrest or a stool? No, I right? didn't have one. This, I think my grandparents had something similar. Right, so that's genuinely like I think that's why he's called ottoman because that is <laughs> yeah, is a, ge- that's, it's a that's genuine true, yeah. thing. Like, but no, no mm. one, no one believes me. <laughs> they think no, oh, I agree with you. Perfectly true. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. She's so evil though. She he he yeah. doesn't even have a name. Like she probably just gave him that name because that's his purpose. He doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. That's all he does. Cuz she's so evil and mm, most likely yeah. This is kind of turning into like Resident Evil Village like <laughs> Lady Dimitri <laughs> yeah. whatever Dimitriescu like yeah. this whole sexualized thing. And that's Scarlet, right? In this series, that's her, yeah. you know. Like you said, maybe the he's inside of it and she's sitting on him. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that want Scarlet to sit on them. So, you know what? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure th- this is their opportunity to be like, hey, here you go. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this podcast has taken an odd turn. 
<laughs> this is Scarlet, you know? She's like a dominatrix. That's true. Anyway. Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> People are into that. All right, so moving on here. We did get reveal of a summon. Yeah, finally. So I don't know how you guys say it. So I say Ramu. So I don't know if like some people say Rama. So no, I don't I, know. I, I, well, no. <laughs> Ramu. Uh, yeah, I that's like what Muhammad. I say. I think in real life I would say Ramu, but I, I think I think the actual pronunciation is Rama. But don't quote me on that. I'm not. Yeah, I think I, so I too. But I, I don't really know my my Indian lore. Well, here's what's happening is that the original, there was no voice acting, right? So I spent my entire life um, calling it Mako and not Mako. Yeah, and I've called, you know what I mean? So I guess we'll find out, but I call it Ramu. Yeah, same. Anyway, but yeah, looks amazing. I just love the commitment to keeping it pretty much the same as the summon in the original. You know, so he kind of grows this piece of earth uh underneath him you know like a um what would you call that i, th- like I think a... it's supposed to represent a mountain but yeah. yeah yes yes like a mountain um and he's on top of it and it's kind of like uh this thing forms and he's on top of it just like the original i love it even mm. the strands of his beard are kind of like yeah, sticking it's majestic out beard, yeah. <laughs> on the sides, which is like what happens in the original game as well. Like they're just kind of flying. They, there's like a long piece and then there's two pieces on the side. Yeah, you know, the huge just, mustache, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looks so cool. I like this design actually better than 15's. I liked Ramu in 15, but mm-hmm. uh, like his design, but I feel like this one is more in tune with Final Fantasy VII and the original design as well. I think that they did a really great job um, designing this this summon, and I think he looks awesome. Like I said, and um, super powerful. I can't wait to use him in battle. I don't know if like what battle this was like. Rami was being summoned in. I don't know. It looked like it was against Scarlet, but then after that, it kind of cuts to uh, Nero. So it's Nero. Yeah, there are two uh, signifiers. One is the HP, because in during Nero's battle, they have much higher HP value. And oh, okay. in, there's one frame where you can see Nero's uh, wing things, like the, the, oh, okay. those, those um, bony wing attachments in one frame. Well, do you want to say anything else about Ramu? Oh, yeah, may, maybe one thing. Um, I was um, thinking about which summon it could be. Um, like f- before I watched the trailer uh, with uh, some CCO people and I really wa- uh, wanted it to, it, it to be Ramu because lightning element I really missed a summon with a lightning element mm. in the base game Yeah. so f- yeah I'm, I'm really glad it is him mm-hmm. I also uh, theorized about uh, Typhon because of the wind element oh, right. we also don't have a wind element um Summon, but uh, lightning element makes much more sense in terms of uh, fighting uh, Shinra armor stuff and and, uh, and what have you. So I'm glad. The thing that um, I was curious about though is I thought in one of the earlier articles, uh, I'm not sure if it was a Famitsu article or or something else, where they Mm -hmm. said that the summon material would not carry forward. Oh, or, I don't remember reading that. Or, or maybe, maybe it was just that the summon or the the material in general would not be carried into your save file for part two, um, which is what, oh, why I was no, surprised I, I, it was uh, Rama. But 
I I think they meant that it doesn't carry over in the main into the main game. Like you can't uh, collect materia in the UFI DLC and then use it uh, on Cloud Barrett or or the others right. in the the main game. Okay. I think that was okay. Okay, that would I suppose it would. I I wasn't expecting Rama for the reason that I I had somehow managed to convince myself that whatever summon it was going to be would be. You only get it the DLC. You would never see it again. Oh, okay. So I was quite mm. shocked that it was actually one of the main ones. Um, but because it's one of the main ones, they have to carry it forward. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're gonna get more. I don't know how many you think is maximum. I think we settled on two or three, right? Like in the previous episode, we talked about how many new summons we're gonna get in this DLC. I would um, say two, one per chapter. I think that's what we settled on because it's two chapters long, right? Could be. I don't even re- remember if they said that there are new summons or a new summon in the article. Oh, I don't remember. I think they said summons. Summons. Again, I may I might be misremembering, but I, I thought it was a new summon. But yes. Oh, really? Um, Same. I, uh, I'm not quite who, sure. Who knows? Uh, everything's yeah. well, on the I table. Think... Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see them giving us Typhoon as well, but I think that they just didn't show it. I'm thinking or one Phoenix. per chapter. Oh, yeah, or Phoenix. Because of the Fort Condor yeah. minigame. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Oh, uh, that, 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 was, that was my speculation as well, so... Mm. Um, oh, good. Good, yeah. But who knows? <laughs> well, we talked a lot about Nero, so why don't we just go ahead... It says that the ending, obviously the ending scene of Yuffie, you know, after the plate falls, I guess, um, she's really upset. She's screaming out in misery. Um, and then this kind of blew up online because it looks like there was a reflection in her eye mm-hmm. and there was much debate online about what she was seeing um, during this moment. And if you pause it, it does look like it could be uh, Kate Sith. Or catchy, whatever, however you want to pronounce it. It looks like it could potentially be that scene in remake um, when he's like looking over the edge after yep. everything, and you can make it out. And you know, shout out to Final Fan TV who posted a. It was like a side by side. I think of that scene and then the reflection. It does look very similar. A lot of people were like, "Oh my god, it's Vincent!" But wow. I never really saw Vincent initially. But I was, I was like, you know, like you said, MJ, I'm like, anything's on the table. Like, who knows? Like, I, I mean, <laughs> like, if they want to give us Vincent in that scene, if this is the end of the DLC, I'd be like, that's the end or something. Cliffhanger. Like, who knows? Like, I would be for I'm I'm up for anything at this point. Um, But it does, I think, make more sense um, with the story if it is Kate Sith that's mm-hmm. there. Especially in terms of the heavy, heavy there's a Cerberus references because mm-hmm. Kate Sith or uh, Ketchy um, appeared there as well without the Moogle. Yeah. There were right. some uh, sneaking missions and he's also there oh. without the Moogle. Yuffie was in Dirts of Cerberus, so he might have uh, helped her escape from Deep Ground, but they were too late. Okay. And then uh, Kate Sith uh, drops to the ground, hits the ground, and then when he's uh, he has his head really far down, Mm-hmm. This is where it really looks like the reflection in her eye. Mm-hmm. Like her reflection is right afterwards. First it comes the yeah. scene from the base game and then her scene. That's how I interpret it right now. I, yeah. I would I would agree that I 
I would be really quite angry actually if it was Vincent. Um, yeah, <laughs> because it just it, it, the the beauty of intermission is that it doesn't actually take away from anything in the original lore. Mm. But, That's true. Um, but to have Vincent there would totally derail that. Um, yeah. The I'm I'm still swithering between it actually just being a bit of rock. I don't think it's Sonon. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's Zach. Um, no. <laughs> But I'm, I'm no. swearing between it's just everybody's making a big hoo-ha out of nothing, and it is actually just a yeah. bit yeah, yeah. That's also my second guess. Yeah. Um, but there's exactly as Viz says, there's every reason to you know why it would be Kate Sith. Uh, just just to clarify as well, like uh, as a proud Scotsman, uh, it is pronounced uh, Ketchy, um, in kind of Gaelic in Scots Gaelic, but. Uh, in Dirge of Cerberus, Reeve does actually say Kate Sith. So, in lore mm. already, it's been established that the pronunciation is Kate Sith. Nice. Um, and one one thing that actually I I mentioned this to Baby Seal and Sleep Easy last night, but I don't I haven't <laughs> I haven't seen anyone else on the internet bring this up. Is that um in in Sector Five uh, in remake. Um, there's there's the whole the whole thing that's um that Sleep Easy talks about about there's evidence to suggest that um Avalanche HQ are based in Sector mm-hmm. Five. Um the whole thing really comes to a head in chapter fourteen with Kire sort of starts um talking about Avalanche and Wutai being connected. Mm-hmm. And in remake through the jukebox music you don't ever get Sid mm. music and you don't ever get Vincent music, but you get both themes to Kate Sith and Yuffie. In Sector 5. And both of them are at Sector 5 station. Yeah, true. Um, Which might be a little trail of breadcrumbs getting le- le- or left for us, or it could be nothing at mm-hmm. all. But in in the end, if, if Kate Sith does actually appear in intermission, We've got chapter 14 saying, well, our first, uh, or Kiri actually stands up and says, we are, or the, the, the truth is that Avalanche HQ and Wutai are working together, immediately followed mm. by the Shinra News broadcast saying that Shinra are looking into Wutai's involvement. And then, although you could see it or, or pick up the discs back in chapter 8, you can actually then go to the station and find both music playing so mm. there's um mm. there's some interesting tie-ins there if you want to join the dots yeah yeah that's it's really really uh good find i think practically all jukebox music locations have some connections to something yeah mm-hmm. like of course tifa's theme is in her bar Barrett's theme is uh also in sector seven but not in the bar yeah. In the train because uh, he he wants to do those those missions which require the train to go upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, the preludes is uh, where we get the first mission. Maybe that's the connection. Hard to say. Like the the the, uh, uh, the Durat quest. Mm-hmm. And when we can pick up the Choco Mock material, there's also Chocobo's uh, music. Yeah. Uh, jukebox, jukebox, jukebox music playing there 
the chase is, uh, can be picked up right before we have to chase this uh, stupid apps we showed, mm -hmm. mischievous showed. And there's, there's a lot more. So my one one of my favorites as well was there's the um, the, the Wutai theme um that's right outside Don Cornelio's mansion, and the right sort of, yeah yeah the, into, the development the... section. Um, yeah, exactly. The, yeah. the Costa del Sol one, I think, is my favorite reference. Sector five, and sector five because uh, there's two connections to it, um, and it's mm -hmm. the. Both both of them relate to say same thing with the the two pieces I've already spoken about. It, it connects to chapter fourteen, where um, this is where you say goodbye to Johnny. Oh right, right, yeah, that's true. In the original game, the next time Johnny shows up is Costa del Sol. Mm -hmm. Um, and the second one is that in the kids are all right. The novel, the. When Kirie is first introduced, literally the first line about Kirie is that she seems to be singing to herself, and it's she's singing a jingle from an advert for Costa del Sol. <laughs> okay, mm. that's cool. That's really cool. Uh, so, like, there's really again everything we know from the remake suggests that the developers know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Every single thing is deliberate. Yeah, yeah, so more likely than not, they meant to do that. Mm. Most likely, yeah. Well, I definitely think that the reflection in her eye does look like Kate Sith. I guess we'll find out um, soon. I, looking back on it now, I think that I that I was like, oh, it could be Vincent. Like somebody had explained. It. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. Like who knows, right? Um, but looking closer, like, I don't know, my computer, because I was looking at it on my phone, it looks like the uh, the screenshot of Kate Sith at the end of Remake, that scene that we got. It could also, somebody had said that it looks like a crashed helicopter. So if you look close closely at it, it kind of does have, like, this um, line, like, rectangular line that kind of could look like a propeller of a... Uh, of a helicopter that had crashed, which does end up happening. So it could be that somebody had said that potentially um, Sonin dies, either he's on it or he, the, the helicopter crashes and then it blows up or something and debris falls on him. And then that's what she's looking at, mm -hmm. like rubble. You know what I mean? Yeah. It could be nothing. Maybe, yeah. Anyway, I hope it's Kate Sith. I think that was that's the most um, appropriate mm. response. I think to to this, it could be nothing. It could be that you know what we're here. We're looking at a screenshot. We're you know deliberating about this, and ultimately, it's literally nothing. Which is similar to what happened when we had the girl that showed the reflection of the. Uh, remember the uh, reactor <laughs> that was blowing up, yeah. and oh yeah, I, we had Viz like. We were looking at all this green shots and going to this image. Like eventually, it was just it was just her looking at it. Like that was it. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what? That's our job. Our this is our job is to kind of pick apart these yeah. <laughs> screenshots and Theorize kind of piece together the information. Yeah, until we actually get it and play it right. So by the way, um, I I had thought earlier uh, when I was talking to people on the CCO, um, mm -hmm. it would make so much sense. That Yuffie already knows Kate Sith from the Midgar segment. Why? To make their encounter with uh, Kate Sith in the Gold Saucer so much more plausible. Like, 
Mm. Nobody knows him. It just shows up there. Hey, uh, wanna uh, wanna see your fortune or something? And blah blah. And mm -hmm. why would they take this weird, strange character with them? Well, if Yuffie knows him and he helped her out, mm. she can say, "Well, oh, he, he's the one that helped me out back there. He, he's cool." Yeah, it's again something uh, along those in lines. The, uh, in the original game, he forces himself into Cloud's body. Yeah, he, <laughs> he can't really do that now. So. Well, I suppose he could, he could try, but that's maybe where the R rating's coming from. But <laughs> sorry, I don't know where I was going with that. Um... No worries. <laughs> but yeah, I th I think it's it would be an extremely missed opportunity if they didn't connect the the two, and it would give the the really out of context scene in the base game so much more context mm, yeah, now definitely. because Absolutely. before it was just a, a cameo in a pre-rendered scene nonetheless which i think uh uses up much much more uh budget and production than just in-game stuff and just for a cameo in there it it's also a kind of weird place for almost mirroring his uh appearance after his uh, first body is crushed then he appears mm -hmm. again while Cloud is hitting Aerith <laughs> in the original game. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. maybe this was kind of a nod to that. But for newcomers, it just makes no sense at all. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But um, other things like Zack, which uh, also is kind of a bit, little bit out of the loop, does make sense because he has more, more connections to Cloud. We see him... Uh, uh, drag Cloud along and he survives and mm -hmm. the stamp bag and all of this so this makes for newcomers at least a little bit of sense and um, kind of sparks sparks this mystery Yeah. but for Kate Sith there just, it's just there like a cat never comes up again nothing so in, <laughs> in my view it's they must co connect the intermission with integrate this way mm. that makes sense all right, guys, so we are going on. We are talking about the first Soldier live stream that happened. So we did get a two-hour live stream on Twitch from Square Enix. They showed an extended gameplay trailer uh, that looks like there are boss battles in the first Soldier. Um, we can see them fighting the Guard Scorpion Sweeper and also summoning Ifrit. Um, it does look like we do have gun and shooter gameplay also mixed with magic slash casting abilities. So what they did was they went over the typical battle royale characteristics. They stated that, you know, battle against many players in a large field, primarily using guns, no respawns. Um, equipment is found on the field. The field shrinks over time, and it's set in Midgar, and monsters roam outside of the city. They showed major areas like the Seventh Heaven uh, Church area, Eris House, the sewers, Wall Market, Coliseum, and the train graveyard. Apparently there are day and nighttime scenes as well. Um, and you can see enemies that spawn on the battlefield. Monsters drop loot, so obviously if you engage monsters, you can attack them and kill them and um, take the loot that drops from the monsters. They also give you experience as well, and you can use the experience to level up. And then by leveling up, it does unlock new abilities to your uh, hero. And also, obviously, when you level up, you get more HP. So it's, you know, killing monsters is a big part of this game. And they did go on to kind of explain that this is what helps differentiate the First Soldier from other Battle Royale games that are out there. You know, if you think about 
Fortnite, for example, you know, there are cosmetics that are available for you to purchase with in-game uh, money, or you can buy um, this, you know, the loot or whatever uh, for your cosmetics. It doesn't affect the gameplay per se, but it's just skins that you can use on your character. They don't really, they kind of incorporated actually these units that you can destroy. They will attack you. I'm not sure if they give drops or anything that affects the gameplay, but this is a defining factor of the first soldier. So there are monsters that you can actually engage with. So it does provide a different uh, element than other Battle Royale games that are out there. So there are materia and also other, I guess, equipment that you can actually pick up on the battlefield. So materia gives you magic attacks, special effects, for example. I think the character, the guy that's playing it picks up Fireaga, Blizzard, or Blizzaga. Um, it looks like if you cast Fireaga, it just looks like a normal like fire spell. And then we've got Blizzaga. It kind of spawns like this icicle that shoots like a turret over time and then will disintegrate once it's done. Eraga actually allows you to traverse like higher parts um, like on top of rooftops and stuff. So you cast it and it looks like a mini tornado and you walk into it and it kind of bounces you up higher. It makes you fly in the air and then you can land on top of a building so you can get, you know, a better advantage and be able to, I guess, use like a sniper rifle or something like that. Each one of these materia uh, has a, its own individual cooldown. It does look like they had three of them equipped at the same time. So if you cast it, it just kind of shows like it grays out and then it will have a bar that kind of fills up and then it shows that it's enabled again so you could use it again. Nomura stated that, like I said, it's they wanted it to be different. It's not like every other Battle Royale. They wanted a new experience for players. He was really strict with how they handled the Final Fantasy VII world and he was really tough on the team actually about maintaining the consistency of Final Fantasy VII Remake world on mobile. Leveling up, like I said, unlocks new abilities. HP goes up, your powers for your existing skills go up. Like I said previously, so farming is a huge element of this game, which isn't like other Battle Royale games. So you can approach this game differently. So when you play it, you if you're not really used to playing Battle Royale games, you can treat it more like an RPG game because you can actually, you know, farm for loot, materia, and hoard items and ex like focus on getting exp so that you can level up your character to get more hp more power uh unlock more unique abilities for your character or you can just go in guns blazing and treat it like a shooter if that's what you want because that's what you know the gameplay that you're used to that's what you're good at you could also use a mix of both gameplay styles which is what i think they had uh, recommended so when you first spawn into the world you want to focus on farming defeating monsters gaining experience leveling up and then focusing on, uh, you know, like finding loot and equipment and materia, and then eventually battling each other. So moving on here, chocobos are also included, a maximum of 75 players per match. We also have different modes of gameplay. So there's solo, free for all, and also team deathmatch. And it looks like we've got unlockable skins. So clothing for your character, there was a a, a character that was wearing like a chocobo sweater that was unlocked, I guess, through gameplay and achievements. Um, there's different styles of 
the characters as well. So you can choose between a warrior, sorcerer, monk, or a ranger. And each one of these characters has their own specific skills. Kind of, it goes back to like the job classes, right? Of the classic yeah. Final Fantasy games um, as well. So right now the closed beta test is open for Android users only until uh, May 27th. The beta test will run from June 1st to the 7th. So unfortunately I can't sign up. I have an uh, iPhone, so I, I will definitely try this. I'm super excited to try it if they do have a closed beta test for the iOS devices. I'm sure that we'll get more info, obviously, you know, closer to the start date of the beta. Um, so hopefully people will be posting, you know, footage and I guess their opinions on the game. I'm sure we'll find it and see it on Twitter, obviously. Um, I'm not sure about actually like screen capturing and posting footage online. I don't know what the rules are if you participate like in a beta, if you're allowed to do that or not. I think so. But um, anyway, not too much longer. I think um, I think based on the the footage they've already shown, um, there's there's quite a lot. Obviously, there will be things in there that we've not uh, encountered yet in the the stream. Yeah. Um, and this was just the Midgar map. Nomura's actually said that they're planning more maps as well. Oh, okay. Uh, which I'm assuming is going to tie in with like the next part of remake and and whatnot. Mm. Um. So mm-hmm. so it's, it's I I don't expect it to be something that they'll they'll drop at the time of launch because it wouldn't make any sense because the entirety of remake was set in midgar yeah um and they've they've pulled some assets over from that um i I actually must admit that i'm not a fan of battle royale games at all and i'm definitely not a fan of mobile games but having sat and watched the footage of it and seen how how different it actually is in the whole leveling system the getting materia that you have to go out farming like I don't know if you, you get that in other games, but I that was quite novel to me, and it really mm-hmm. changed my opinion. But I think the biggest thing was being able to run around that map was just, it, it, looked, it looked so cool. Um, there, there were quite a few things that confused me, though. I watched, I watched the English translation stream, like the actual Square Enix stream. Um, yeah, I think that's what I watched as well. They had commentators that were translating. So, so that there were a few things that they, they, Joshua had his notes in front of him, but was also translating some of the comments, but he didn't catch everything. Um, so there's a few things that um, kind of Baby Seal told me about later, and that it turns out that he'd watched Audrey's stream, and Audrey was tran- translating oh. live. Um, and there was a lot more that Audrey picked up than what the official Square Enix okay. stream actually provided um so it was cool to go back on that and one of the things that threw me uh, to begin with was um there are areas on the map that shouldn't exist like mm-hmm. um like a- Aerith's church at that point does exist um it's the the material ultimania kind of confirms that it was built around about mm-hmm. that period um seventh heaven should not exist um because mm-hmm. crisis core the the carpenter actually says that he's going to build it, so that's that's well in advance. Um, an, yep. another example is the collapsed highway. Like if you look at the map, mm-hmm. not very much of sector six has collapsed, but there's a highway. So somehow a highway fell off the plate by itself. And <laughs> <laughs> just landed. Uh the train graveyard's fine because that that was basically how they got goods in and out of of Midgar. Um mm-hmm. and. You know, so the, there are a few locations in there 
And I thought that's that's really bizarre because if they're trying to set time and place here, from a lore perspective, it's just a mess. But it turns out that mm-hmm. Nomura actually addressed this during the live stream because somebody asked him about it. And the answer was, um, it, basically the, the official Square Enix um, stream, Joshua said, they're talking about this being in a virtual reality setting, but I'm not sure what the context was. I missed the context. Like that that's what he said, not what I said. Hmm. And it turns out that the context was Nomura came in and clarified that this is a virtual reality setting, but the virtual reality has the capacity to anticipate future environments. Mm-hmm. So what we're seeing is assets from Final Fantasy VII Remake, but spread yeah. over multiple time periods. If that makes sense, like Seventh Heaven is there, but it didn't exist at the same time as the rest of it. But it's there because the VR has anticipated that it will exist there in the future. So hmm. that's that's their explanation for why it's it's all over the place. Um, which to be fair means that okay, well anything's fair game now. But I yeah. couldn't get my head around that for twenty four hours until I got that confirmation from Audrey. <laughs> it was like, hmm. oh my god. Um, my personal theory about that ties into the theory I proposed in the Aerith analysis video, that uh, part one is basically um, happening in the live stream's memories, mm-hmm. and Sephiroth and Aerith connect back, and that's why they know more and can do more stuff. And if the first soldier is the same, if it's if it's basically just a, a memory of that what happened back then yeah. with the VR, then the VR, instead of producing stuff that's um, like happens currently, the 30 years prior, yeah. it can actually display um, areas from the future because the future already happened. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it, it just doesn't need to be exactly the same because if we remember back if we recall our own memories, there are not always 100% accurate. Yeah. Maybe mixed with uh, other uh, experiences and stuff from the relative future. So that's my personal interpretation of his line to make sense of it, other than just saying, oh, um, it, ha- it, ha- it really happened 30 years ago in the, in the real world from Final Fantasy VII, but it can predict the future, actually predict the future. Yeah. For me, this is not really feasible. No, I, I, you know, I think they've just thrown that line in there to fend off the lore enthusiasts. Um, or that, yeah. But <laughs> I we have obviously seen like the the VR section in chapter sixteen, where it shows yep. you the building of Midgar, like after it was historically a you know a Cetran site or whatever. So there already exists the capacity of, you know, what happens if there's a glitch in the VR that shows you Midgar and 10,000 years ago at the same time. Um, So there is Mm, that capacity. But one, I I think the the key factor here, and this is is why, you know, from the off, I kind of knew this was going to be virtual reality because there's so much of a tie-in, again, to Deep Ground Mm -hmm. that... The, the online component, the, right? Yeah, the online component was ba- basically it calls it calls the, the battle missions experiments. So the soldiers 
are being experimented on to test who's the strongest, but the experiments all happen mm-hmm. in virtual reality. Um, mm. So the the whole thing is a co- it's just one big combat simulator. Mm-hmm. So because otherwise uh, they had they they would have no no soldiers left yeah. in a few weeks. Or so. Basically, they were, with all you know that's why Russell's so so crazy that Russell does actually kill people. Um, mm. So that there are deaths in in deep ground, um, but the vast majority of the battles that take place are virtual reality, which. Also explains why Deep Ground Soldier were never really seen above ground, because while you're fighting all around the world during the game and on maps that are set all around the world, like there's maps set in Wutai, there's maps set in Calm, there's ma- maps set in Coral Desert or Corel Desert, but it's all it's all mm. VR. You know they never actually left Deep Ground, so having a game based on the battle mechanics. Or the, the the history of of deep grounding specifically the online mode it was almost certainly going to be VR, mm. which is what we got. But to be fair to them, it does look really good. Yeah, I am excited to to get my hands on it and play it. I'm not like you said, uh, like a a battle royale kind of person. I've played Fortnite a bit with my nephew. He's younger, so that's what he's into. So obviously, like. With the pandemic and everything, I haven't been able to visit my family, so he will get in touch with me and ask me to play, and I've been playing I'm really bad at it. That's pretty much my experience with Battle Royale games. <laughs> so, But I do like the fact that, like you said, it has materia, which provides a different element. Also, you can kind of approach it like a traditional RPG as well, so you can you know, fight bosses and monsters. They do have the Colosseum in there as well, so you can farm XP um and materia to unlock you know new abilities and kind of upgrade yourself before you know going into battle with other people that are on the map as well i'm not really into shooters either but the gunplay looks pretty good i'm not sure like the thing about shooters is that it's kind of like twitch gaming right so it has to be super accurate and you have to be able to make a decision like very very quickly and i just don't know if this game is going to be able to have like that really fast input sensitivity between you and like what you're trying like who you're trying to shoot at because to me like that is the most annoying part um about playing a shooter for me is that like other people have faster reaction time than me so when i'm playing like maybe they have like a faster monitor maybe they have a faster controller maybe they have I don't, I don't know, but these people who play shooters, this is what they're into. This is what they do. So for me, I'm already at a disadvantage. But for me to be able to farm and play like more of like, you know, with melee, more like a, an RPG gives me an advantage because I'm, that's the type of game that I'm more into. That's what I have experience playing. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like I, I have a better chance yeah. at, you know, doing well at this game than I do at playing Fortnite. The, the the really cool thing about this is there's no getting away from that this is a Final Fantasy game and specifically a Final Fantasy VII game. Mm-hmm. You know, like the inclusion of being able to ride a chocobo that's that's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> throwing throwing in vehicles, like yeah, that, that's really cool. Um, but the I think just the the sheer scale of the map is massively impressive. But being able to to sort of as you touched on earlier on, using the Eroga, Eroga, yeah, the, however, the Aero magic to sort of lift yourself up, so that like there's a a mega vertical element as well. 
that's, yeah. uh, I think that's that's really cool. Um, mm-hmm. and in particular, like I, I must admit, again, this is just as a a lore enthusiast. My favorite thing about the whole video was right at the start when they they jump out the helicopter and you can see the whole thing from above. Like mm-hmm. I, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, uh, definitely awesome. Although I myself haven't seen anything yet <laughs> of this, I'm also, as you said, Mo, um, no, not really a fan of battle royale or even mobile games for that yeah. matter. So I'll probably skip it, but I'll most likely just uh, watch people play to get the feeling of what it actually is. Well, I'm actually mm-hmm. surprised yeah. to hear that you said that because there's one thing that I was going to discuss with you um, that I assume you would have noticed. Uh, and say it might just be um, kind of duplication of assets or whatever, but um, when you're when you're watching the videos for it, Viz, keep an eye out on the massive fans in the background of the lobby because the same fans appear during the, the intermission trailers um, during the fight with Nero, I think. So oh. there's... Oh, the fans, okay. So there's there's a... I mean, again, I... I Captain Cynic over here. I think it is just assets being duplicated, but mostly probably, yeah. yeah uh, but it it does it does suggest that the actual the training center or the lobby for the soldiers is in the central pillar or wherever Yuffie ends up. Yeah, yeah, it could could be. Yeah, uh, it's that's what it's, it looks like. It's probably the same area where we encounter Nero. It could be. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like. Yeah. yeah. Um, how much or which part should I watch? Because I don't really want to watch the whole. Oh two my hours. gosh, I don't even know where that I is. Would, it, it was in the yeah, middle. Yeah, I would recommend. There's basically there's two there's two games that they have. Um, the first one is really cool. It's the first one is um, it starts with, uh, jumping out the plane and heading for Aerith's church. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the fights themselves last about fifteen minutes. But the, the first video is, is a sort of every man for themselves. And the second one is a team match. Yep. The team match, it shows you a bit more of uh, Corneo's uh, mansion and uh, a little bit more of, of Wall Market. But it's, mm-hmm. I don't think it's as revealing in terms of like landscape and lore and whatnot. I think the first video. Mm-hmm. So all, all that you need to do is like just, just skip over the, like, the panel talk and mm-hmm. go straight to the when the gameplay starts and then watch the first the first bit of gameplay um i i think that that would be your best option if you you want to sort of cut straight to the good stuff yeah i'd probably do that yeah i'm not sure if i have time tomorrow but um mm-hmm. uh thursday the latest because thursday's uh a day off here okay thanks so Probably, I hope I remember. That's always the thing with me. Oh, I'll do that in um, tomorrow <laughs> or two days, and then I forget again. <laughs> All right. So moving on here, we're just going to quickly talk about a comment that Nomura had made during the live stream of the First Soldier, and it kind of revealed some information about Final Fantasy VII uh, Remake Part Two. So what he said was um, he wanted to talk a little bit about part two. He wasn't sure what he was allowed to say. So he actually ended up contacting Kataze, I guess, to see what he was allowed to talk about. He said that he was actually surprised that there were so many layers and levels of different departments that he had to get approval from (laughs) in order to actually be able to come out and talk about part two and just kind of give an update 
about that. So he said it ended up being uh, too complicated. So he was kind of stuck. And then, um, you know, after all that, he just said, basically, it's not even worth it, um, essentially. So he said that what he can say um, is that Cloud will be running around a lot in nature. And the atmosphere will be quite different from part one. So he said, I think people will really enjoy it. Development's going really great. Obviously, please wait for more information. The part two story will start right after the events of Intergrade. So we hope you enjoy Intergrade too. So we got a, a few things. So I'm I'm happy that, you know, he said that Cloud's gonna be running around a lot in nature. It's kind of a it's people took this online. Obviously, you know the way it is, right? Like People on Twitter just kind of were like, oh my God, like jumping the gun, yeah. saying that um, this was confirmation, obviously, of the world map. Essentially, I did find a screenshot. I, I couldn't find it actually to put in the, um, the document. I was looking um, on Twitter. Somebody had posted something that looked like cloud with not trees, but other vegetation or whatever yeah. around him. So it looked like he was outside and he was walking or something and the and the floor area was kind of like a checkered floor so it was like they were just testing it for the movement or something on the world map um but i tried to find it for this i couldn't find it so i don't know if somebody made that or if that was taken from the live stream but i i watched it and i couldn't find it yeah it was definitely definitely not from the live stream oh okay it might have been from um actually when they were showing the development of just remake uh part one way back like way before the game actually came out. But yeah, so this is cool. You know, we knew that development was going well. Anyway, we knew this. Do you guys have any comments about this? I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, it's pretty much exactly what you would expect when it is, it's, it's said nothing. Um, yeah. <laughs> because with, with the one exception of part two being okay, it starts it starts in Carmel, it starts in Nibelheim. So now we're going to transfer you to the Chocobo farm and now we're going to transfer you straight to the Mithril Mine. Like, of course, at some point it's going to have to be in nature. So, you know, it doesn't actually tell us anything. Uh, Tori, Toriyama's mm-hmm. comments about having a lot of inspiration from uh, Horizon Zero Dawn was far more informative right. than what yeah. Nomura said. Um, but... I mean, it's as as to be expected. I th- I think you know, I mm-hmm. I personally didn't pick up on this. It was Baby Seal that, that sort of pointed out that I think there's more to be looked into in terms of his wording about um, that part two will pick up exactly where Intergrade. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that suggests that intermission might go story wise might go a little further, or that there's going to be an additional secret ending maybe not a secret maybe just an additional ending um to mm. to the the main story in intergrade which oh you know would make, would make perfect sense that's interesting so yeah that's uh, that's about what i i'm thinking just uh, an an additional kind of like a kingdom hearts final mix uh, kind of deal okay. where there's uh, an additional ending Maybe without preconditions, just after you finished it, after the credits mm-hmm. roll, there's a, an additional scene or something. Yeah. And, you know, it could be something as um, one one of my friends, it was Alan, Alan Kenny, actually, Alan of, of Kupacon, who, who posted that he would like to see an homage to Nanaki and his cubs 
at the end of, of the, the original game and the start mm. of Advent Children, like an homage to that somewhere in the Midgar wastelands on the way to Calm. Mm. Um, you know, that, that would be a cool idea. Or passing what had previously been Zack's grave or... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's 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 so much. I suppose it doesn't even have to be... Well, I suppose it, by saying it doesn't have to be the... Uh, the party themselves, it, it would kind of make more sense that it's the party that the story picks up straight away. My mm. my theory that I threw out there um, was what if the secret ending is Cloud's flashback about the truck on the way to Nibelheim? So it's him and Sephiroth in the back of the truck. And then mm. part two starts with the, you're actually like, it, do, it doesn't even show you calm. Part two starts with the Nibelheim flashback. Mm. Yeah, the Nibelheim flashback is, uh, I think since I started thinking about how they would split up, was the thought of part two starts off right in the back of this, this truck. Nothing else. Yeah. You start the game and it starts there. Because that, that would make sense in terms, like, if, you ha- if you're playing through the whole thing, you can, you know, as, from the, the, the storytelling perspective, you can, hit all the story beats from Cloud's backstory. Like we've already established mm-hmm. Sephiroth, so we don't need to establish who Sephiroth is again. So yeah, exactly. so all we're doing is telling this story. So the whole section, like in, in the original game, we've got the entire section of they get to calm, they go up, Cloud starts his backstory, and you know, you've got this dialogue box with Tifa where she says nothing. Mm-hmm. But you can bypass all of that. Now, because you've already established who Sephiroth is, you're adding far more detail to the flashback so you can just play out the flashback and then go... It, it, Cloud doesn't even have to have told the party about this. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you, you can actually tell the full story to the player, allow the player to live through that and then start the calm section, which then means you don't have to address Tifa hiding her feelings about what Cloud's just said. Although I think this is a pretty important part of um, of this whole development between uh, Tifa and Cloud, and that there's there's something a little bit weird because otherwise it just take everything as true. Well, I, I guess I guess that's that's very true, and obviously they they do they do address it when they first arrive in Junon or sort of under yeah, that's, that as well, yeah. Um, but there's there is the thing right at the beginning of chapter three when Cloud says mm-hmm. it's it's been five years, and Tifa's like yeah, yes, and huh? they just move yeah, straight exactly. on. So it's it's a perfect way to address it that um for for those who who don't know the story, you know that mm. it's it's just a scene. It makes no difference. But for those that are familiar with the story, they've you know basically you're you're highlighting that that Tifa is questioning it without actually mm. questioning it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the, the, the little subtleties that they've used throughout Remake have just been astonishingly good. Um, so I, w- I would anticipate that they'll, they'll move forward with that, but I think if, if they are going to have Cloud tell that story, the, there absolutely has to be a focus on Tifa being like, right, it's now time to acknowledge that there's something really bizarre going on here. Yes. For sure. And what also 
you know, came to mind is kind of to to interlace the flashback and the journey to calm. Like you, f you start off with uh, the back of the truck and the first battle is the dragon. Maybe some other smaller ones first, maybe expand this part. But then it cuts back to the party entering calm or walking towards calm, getting to the inn. Mm -hmm. And then when they're in, then it continues in Nibelheim itself. Yeah. Because then it doesn't start with uh, just running into a, a city. But it also gives you the context that Cloud is telling the story before you get into the meat of it. Yeah. Because if you play through the whole segment first, even with the, the especially since since there are uh, interjections with, with Cloud and the others who make some comments, oh, oh, did you go into my house? Yes, I did. Yeah. For example, then you need to establish this, this beforehand, so that the player knows. Oh, it's a flashback. Well, you pretty much know anyway, but that the they they are. Oh, that Cloud is telling the others about this while they're staying in Calm and the Inn. So that there is... Context. There are a few different ways that they can establish that it's a flashback. Like, colorization is one way. Um, fr oh, for from, sure, yeah. uh, At the beginning of... Or not the beginning of Chapter 9, at the very tail end of Chapter 8, when Cloud has the flashback to being at home, oh, yeah. he's actually wearing both shoulder pauldrons. So mm -hmm. a visual representation of this is not the same cloud is for him his his outfit to be slightly different. Um, yeah, I hope he has both both shoulder pauldrons because this wouldn't mm -hmm. would really clash with the the scene you just yeah, mentioned. Before. Definitely, and and that's one of my biggest gripes about the entire compilation that we never get an explanation for where the spiked mm -hmm. one comes from. <laughs> yeah, it it really looks like the. He has just put both on top of each other and screwed them yeah. together. That's what it looks it's, like to me. Uh, but why? I'm, yeah, I'm really quite. So hopefully, if we do end up in a situation where we go down the Zach timeline route, that there'll be an Easter egg in there somewhere about how or where this came from, because it's, it's pissed yeah. me off for years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we might not ever get an answer. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Don't even joke about that. And it will continue to piss you off for the rest of your existence. <laughs> I'm, I'm not playing part two if that's how it's going to be. <laughs> well, you can cancel the pre-order uh, when oh you notice. Oh my god. Yeah, that's true, yeah. It's, it's the, the only reason I'm playing Remake is to get this answer. Exactly. All right, guys, so moving on here, MJ, we are going to talk a little bit about your book, Norse Myths, that inspired Final Fantasy VII. So I know that, Viz, you had finished the book today, and yes. you had some comments that you wanted to make about the book, and also some questions that you had for MJ. Uh, some comments, yes. So <laughs> I, I, I already um, gave you some, like that it's mm -hmm. actually awesome, and I learned a lot about Norse mythology, like, above... Mm -hmm. What do you see in pop culture mm -hmm. Thanks. and some other games? Which is uh, just really, really good. Uh, you go so much in detail into all those uh, <laughs> different, uh, the, 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 the poetic edda, the prose edda, and the, uh, I forgot already how it's called, the other book from this uh, other so Swedish or, or Norwegian guy. Uh, uh, Snorri Sturluson. He's, yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he wrote the prose edda. Um, the, the poetic edda is basically just a collection of earlier oh, I poems. See. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, I really love that you always reference 
actual origins of those stories and uh, where all those characters appear in which and so, sometimes it's not mm -hmm. even quite clear what actually happens or the the researchers are not quite sure mm -hmm. of this or that version so it's not just some references oh it's the, this looks like odin or uh, this one is is probably hell or something it's uh, it's really really in depth so anyone interested in norse mythology and final fantasy 7 is this is just mm -hmm. a, a must because you learn a lot. Also uh, about compilation. Everything about Before Crisis and There's a Cerberus online mode is all in there summarized. <laughs> yeah, and, well, thank you. Thank you for that. And the reason that um, I did end up going... One, one of the things that I didn't realize, and it's this, this is going to not annoy me uh, as well, but this is something I'm going to wonder about for, for the rest of my life, that um, I, I only took an interest in Norse mythology maybe five or six years ago. Um but like mm -hmm. I had I had a sort of base understanding of it and I knew that like Odin, the the summon Odin was from Viking mm -hmm. War and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um but when I started researching Norse mythology I found that I was really interested in it. And the more I looked into it the more I was like, right, I recognise some of these names from mm -hmm. Final Fantasy Seven. So I thought, well, it's you know, there, there's obviously a connection there. That's okay. That's cool. Um, and it wasn't until I started writing this book that I discovered that, you know, obviously there there had been inspiration there, but I didn't know just how deep a love and a passion for mythology that Nojima has. Mm -hmm. Um, that came as a massive surprise, and, um, you know, going away and finding out that that. Prior to to joining uh, Square, uh, he'd actually written a Greek mythology um, series called oh. um, Glory of Heracles. Um, Heracles okay. being the the Greek equivalent of Hercules. Um, so mm -hmm. there's there's um, you know it had a lot of background and in, in when interviewed uh, about the the matter for one of the re-releases of of Glory of Heracles. Years later, they asked him if he could if he could explore any other type of mythology, what would it be? And his answer was Norse mythology. So I don't think it's a um, mm. a surprise that when he was given the, the sort of uh, scenario writer gig for Final Fantasy VII, that he did incorporate all that. Um, mm -hmm. Because my understanding at the time had been, like, I, knew, I knew the original or the early Final Fantasy games like their mythos and the the bestiaries were based on Dungeons and Dragons, and I just mm -hmm. assumed that that continued the whole way, and I suppose to <laughs> to an extent it did, but Sahagin, for example, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there, there are there are so many enemy types in particular um, found within the the Final Fantasy games that that, that quite directly trace back to Dungeons and Dragons, um, but when we get to Seven in particular, when Nojima takes over as lead writer from Sakaguchi, it it changes. Like he's he's not he's no longer basing mythology on Dungeons and Dragons mythology. He's actually now basing it on real mm -hmm. world mythology, and that mm -hmm. that's that's something that I found really really interesting because it it changes the dynamic of what's actually going on. So I, I will forever wonder whether my interest 
um, or like whether um, the, the, the comparison between Final Fantasy VII and Norse mythology came up just by chance um, through my research of Norse mythology or if my interest in Norse mythology was subliminally planted there <laughs> by Najima, by Najima's writing. Either. So it's, yeah, yeah it's... Um, when when I started looking at it, as I said earlier on, there's there's so much content that yeah um, you you can pull from, and it's it's I I personally find the the whole thing fascinating, um, and there's Najima wrote every single entry in the compilation except Dodge of Cerberus, and right yeah Dodge of Cerberus, although I speak about it a couple of times during the book, it doesn't have a huge amount of Norse mythology at all. But it does have quite a lot of Greek mythology, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I'm going to bring up in my new book that I'm hoping to to get crowdfunded shortly. So, uh, in in short, basically, Dirge of Cerberus is a rerun of some of the the story of Heracles or or Hercules, mm. and you know, late towards the end of it, it, it descends into the underworld and things like that. Um, <laughs> I so, love it's, it. yeah, there's there's a an enormous amount of parallels going on. So, you know, I, I'm I'm just really this is or the Final Fantasy VII and Norse mythology were two passions of mine. Being able to combine them has just been a dream come mm-hmm. true. But but not only that, to find that there's actually an enormous amount of people out there who are also interested in that and learning about that um, has has just blown me away. So, you know, for for everyone that has picked up a copy of the book. Thank you, thank you so much. It it, it just mm-hmm. it basically validates everything that that I've worked towards. Mm. It for sure does, yeah. And uh, I'm I'm also it's 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 really interesting how everyone I saw on on Twitter post about the book is just always high praises. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not not much of on Twitter anyway, but uh, those few things I saw, it's it's always praise. It's really. I think you hit the nerve there. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and it's the the feedback has been phenomenal. I wouldn't, <laughs> for the most part, I wouldn't expect someone to to say, right, this was a one star book. I'm now going to attack you for it over Twitter, but um, so you'd probably expect that those people would just put the book in the bin and walk away. But you know, I, as as much as I, I don't really want to blow my own trumpet, like the actual the ratings on Amazon just now kind of speak for themselves like it's it's, mm. it's kind of as of hold on a second i'll check as of right now in the u.s there's there's been 118 ratings and it's mm-hmm. uh 90 percent of which have been five star oh mm-hmm. that's that's so really that's, something yeah. you know that's, that's that's far far better than i was ever anticipating so i'm um I'm massively grateful to to Kaylee for the artwork as well, but also to to Kira Ravens, who's um, my editor. Who is, is mm-hmm. yeah, she's just an absolute godsend. Um, she she did a phenomenal job on this, and it wouldn't be as neat and tidy as it is with <laughs> without her. So I'm yeah, I'm hugely hugely appreciative of of Kira's input as well. Um. I also have a few a few questions and for time's sake let's try to keep the answers short. <laughs> sure, yes. I 
pretty sure it's it's hard because I know if I would answer it would be hard, but let's try anyway. So I think the amount of research and time you had to pour into this book was quite um, gargantuan, right? Quite a lot, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was the, the time frame of the whole uh, process process from when you started until you published the book? Well, that's, that's actually quite a difficult one to, to answer. Um, some of the some of the content had been written in the form of blogs oh, okay. previously. Um, oh right, you so, said mentioned that. So I was able just to reformat those uh, or kind of amalgamate them into chapters. Um, originally, mm. the plan had been to finish the book and release it in time for a remake or a roundabout remake. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in this sort of lead up to it, uh, I think there, we were a little bit behind schedule, and then COVID started to get pretty serious. Mm. Um, so there was there was a good maybe two months, two months before the the potential release of the book, where we thought, right, there's, I I happened to work for the the British government, and we'd, we'd sort of been given warnings in advance of, like, you know, there's there's the potential that we might have to work from home for a little while and all this sort of mm. stuff. So I knew that it might not be a good idea, and I also knew that if I hadn't published by the time remake was launched i was you know i wasn't going to put aside playing remake just mm-hmm. just to get this out so um yeah. <laughs> i i was slightly behind uh kaylee the artist was slightly behind uh and she she owns her own tattoo business so there's i can't really put any demands on her um from from that respect so we made the decision maybe about six weeks before um Remake was due to, to uh, sorry, um, I'm talking about remake. I'm talking about the original launch, the sort of March third launch. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, so we we basically just called a halt on it. So it was like a good four or five months where I didn't do very much work at all, and then threw everything I had at it. Um, sort of maybe May June time. Uh, last year and got the whole thing finished um so i would say there's in terms of actually writing content um there was maybe somewhere between six and nine months um but again it's, it's difficult to put my finger on it because it was actually so spread out and different mm. formats to begin with yeah i, I always always uh I'm astonished about how much research and time goes into those those things. Even in my own analyses, sometimes I just pour hours and hours into mm-hmm. looking over footage, checking this out, writing some things down, then, then noticing something and going back to check and or search online for certain answers I don't quite remember yeah. and stuff. And <laughs> and I can only imagine how difficult it is for digging up all this, this uh, Norse mythology. Yeah, <laughs> It, mm-hmm. it could get quite complicated and there were times where yeah. you know i'd write entire sections only to discover that i'd misinterpreted something or oh, you know, yeah. um, oh no or that the source wasn't quite accurate or things like that you know it's it, it could be quite frustrating at times but um mm-hmm. because it was such a passion project i i didn't really the motivation to complete it never really went away it got quite stressful mm. towards the end after I'd actually set a, a release date. It got quite stressful, but um, yeah, I I really enjoyed that, and I did actually have a 
pretty firm background uh, in mm-hmm. Norse mythology anyway. I, I, I've been doing a, an original project for a few years, a kind of superhero fantasy novel project, which oh, is, cool. um, you know, it, it taps really heavily into Norse mythology as well, which is where the original interest came from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it wasn't as if I had to start from scratch on either subject. Like, I actually had a pretty pretty good understanding on both to begin with. Um, and it, after that, it was really just a, a case of getting all my thoughts down and reformatting them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that certainly saved time, saved a lot of time, I guess. Which is always good to repurpose old works into newer works uh, to not have to start from scratch every mm-hmm. time. It's it definitely, definitely a good, a good thing to have and a good reference point as well. Mm, yeah, exactly. Then I've written down some more remake-specific questions, but I tried to condense them into kind of one question. Sure. So, basically, expectations for future parts relating to mythological connections, uh, specifically Odin and Nibelheim, Shinra Manor, because that that one's huge yeah. in terms of uh, connections. And what in general would you expect in future? Uh, installments like depending on uh, Norse myths um, I know there was, this was a lot but uh, no, I'll just let no, you <laughs> answer like you want <laughs> I personally wouldn't expect there to be too many changes from what already exists in the compilation lore um, there are a few things like um, I would expect the Midgar Zolom to be correctly named to Midgar yes. <laughs> Um and I would hope that there would maybe be a mythological reference in there somewhere you know either highlighting the the connection with Thor so that there's like a thunderstorm going on mm-hmm. at that time or mm-hmm. that the Midgard Shom as part of its um, like part of the, its move set has like a poison based thing oh right yeah yeah um, cause, it doesn't have it right yeah it now. doesn't have it just now so it's um, like it, it's got beta which Correct me if I'm wrong, but it does actually have... Is that fire elemental? Right. Yes, fire to all. Which yeah. I think is, you know, same thing. I didn't put this in the book because it's, you know, maybe too out there. But um, Midgard Sorn and Thor finally fight at Ragnarok, which is the apocalypse. And mm-hmm. the apocalypse ends when the nine worlds are burned. So mm. there's, you know... I see. So th- there's a kind of vague connection there. Um, but Mid- Midgard Storm, I would like to see, you know, maybe a reference to to Midgard in in terms of, like the Norse mythology is that it encircles the world, that it lies at the bottom mm. of the the ocean, but it's so big that it can bite its own tail after it's encircled the world. So maybe maybe mm. something like that, mm. that at some point during the swamps, it, it bites its own tail or whatever. Um, what I'd like is that you start uh, walking through the swamp. And then just see parts of a huge snake in, in, in certain areas in the distance, maybe. Or maybe you walk over something and then notice it's actually a part of a snake that disappears into the swamp yeah. again. And that just at some point, yeah, really massive. And at some point, it just uh, may, maybe see, see the head or parts of the head in the <laughs> distance, or it, it, it plops up from beneath and it's so huge. That, yeah. I, do you know what I think would be really cool is if they're they're walking through and there's like a maybe 
like a little natural passageway or corridor, and it turns out that they're walking mm. through the inside of the snakeskin. Oh, we're dead, yeah. Um, that would also be cool, yeah. So, like, something like that, I think, would be really, really great to add in. The, the Odin one um, is there's a sort of running theme. I, I've spoken about this in sort of previous articles that um, Odin in Final Fantasy 3 is in the catacombs beneath the sort of fortified sister, sister um, city of Seronia. So there's a, a connection mm-hmm. there to the, the like a castle. Um, in Final Fantasy 4, he's in the library beneath um, right, yeah. is it uh, Baron Castle? Um... And I think so. Final Fantasy V, uh, he is a secret boss in a location called Baal Castle. Um, mm-hmm. And in Final Fantasy VI, he's in the Ancient Castle. So there's, there's, no, there's no castle as such. You know, the fortified town of Calm mm-hmm. is relatively similar to a castle, but in terms of a historic location... Um, that a a lot has has gone on. Shinra Manor sort of fits that theme, mm-hmm. kind of yeah. Um, but the whole the whole the whole idea behind this is that there's actually a connection. I think I I do actually mention it in the book about um, Seronia in Final Fantasy three has the 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 king has his army fighting each other every day to the death. Like he splits the army in two and has them fight to death every day, which is directly lifted from Norse mythology and uh, yeah, the Iherian yeah, in, in Valhalla. Um, you know, Bar- Baron Castle, it's, it's just another castle. Um, Baal Castle in Final Fantasy V can the the Baal bit uh, in one of the games. I don't know if it's a Game Boy Advanced was anglicized as Val Castle. So hmm. you got Valhalla connection again. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so the, the, there's this running theme of you connect, um, you connect the dots. There's there's Valhalla references going on in these castles, and then by extension to to Shinra Manor. So, um, like the the Vincent Valentine connection as well. The when the safe opens, you get the Odin materia and the basement key. The the Odin mm-hmm. materia obviously mm-hmm. has Odin in it. And the basement key has Vincent Valentine, which I've got an entire chapter in the book dedicated to how... Yes, you do. <laughs> how Vincent's character, and specifically the Goliath Beast character, is, is mm-hmm. a berserker. Like, in, like what the actual berserkers of Viking society were. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So you, you, there, there's quite a lot of connections, and obviously that's, that's based in or the, the, the town of Nibelheim, which is lifted from... Niflheim, um, the the Norse um, world of of mist or fog, or cloud, mm-hmm. if you want to use the home of clouds. Home of cloud. yeah. <laughs> um, so there's 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 a, a multitude of connections there. The one the the big one actually for me that there's the whole thing in the remake, which I've kind of said this quite a few times. That what I love about the ending of remake is that. None of us expected to be sitting here thinking, "I don't know what's going to happen next," because that that's crazy. That you know, this is you know, twenty three, twenty four year old game. Yeah, <laughs> that we don't know. It we don't crazy. know what's going to happen next after all this time. 
Mm-hmm. So it's, it's and the, uh, you know, say what you want about the whispers, you know, as a, a sort of story vehicle, it was a fantastic yeah. way of getting us to that point. But but mm. what what it has thrown up is a lot of people asking the question: Will Aerith live, or will will she die? Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I think based based on Norse mythology and based on the Jima being a big fan of Norse mythology. My personal take on this is that she is going to die. And the reason for that is the entire point of Norse or, or, or Viking culture was that you cannot escape fate. Oh, the the, the, um, the fatalism part of their, their culture. You can change yeah. the details, but if you're fated to die on the battlefield, which battle you die in might change, which method of, of killing yeah. might change, who mm-hmm. kills you might change. But you'll still die on yeah, the battlefield. But you will still die. So yeah. I I think I think based based on that, the answer to the question is Aerith will die. Yeah, that that's about my my take on the whole rest of the remake as well. That all the main stations are still there. Mm-hmm. And maybe some details will change even within those events, especially between the events. But the main beats will still be there. Yeah. Up until yeah. the end, and then the very end is different, like beyond Meteor Fall. Yeah. But until then, it's practically the same in broad strokes, but with so many uh, small changes, like in the first e- game. E- even, even then, even like the, the entire like Ragnarok is the story of a fire giant. You know, mm, right, Surtur. Surtur arrives, he has a fight with all the gods. And at the end, mm. he, he burns. He burns the universe, but the universe is reborn. Mm-hmm. So it, it, Ragnarok is not about the destruction of the universe; it's about rebirth. Yeah. Which you know is you know if you want to look at the the end of the the original Final Fantasy VII, you've got Meteor. It arrives. We don't actually yeah. know what, know what happens, and the next thing is five hundred years later, Nanaki is looking over this reclaimed Midgar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the mm-hmm. rebirth, the, the planet has sort of retaken control of itself. Yeah, exactly. Which, which effectively is exactly what, or how how it's described in, in Norse mythology about the world is reborn. There's, you know, it's, it specifies that there's an eagle flying over the skies and that the, there's green grass and waterfalls and what have you. So that there are actually quite a, a few similarities there. One of, one of the things that um, I I would like to see a few more references to the Ragnarok story, uh, yeah. and, and you know whether or not that's tied into Meteor or 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 whatever. Um, but there's there's something there's something that I didn't go into in the book, and there's a very the, the specific reason for it. I'll, I'll come back to in a second. But in Viking society. There were seeresses called uh, Volair, and yeah. it's, it's connected to a specific type of magic called cedar. Um, so Odin was the sort of male god practitioner of this, and the the seeresses themselves it was a, a type of shamanism, and the idea was that you interact with the spiritual plane to understand and shape the future. You can't mm-hmm. change fate. So like, like I, was, I was saying earlier on, if you're fated to die on the battlefield, you will always die on the battlefield. 
but the manner in which you die can be changed. Like the when you die, the who it is that kills you, mm-hmm. the, the weapon that kills you, all that sort of stuff. Those details can be changed. So that that's what the shaping of the future where that comes into play so think of it like fate is the destination and future is the journey and how you get there mm, right okay yeah. so that this is this, this is what the the volor or the these viking seeresses were right mm. so we've got a situation here where there's a the, the the main scenario writer is very heavily interested in norse mythology remake itself is about fighting against destiny in shaping the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, if you then consider that Aerith herself is a CRS, as a Cetra, she can interact with the spiritual mm-hmm. plane to see the future. Mm-hmm. So, there's quite a few parallels there, but the reason I didn't include it in the book is that for it to work, it, spe- it specifically has to be that Aerith is being able to see the future and and make decisions to change that there's obviously the 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 counter argument that future Aerith or Aerith from the live stream or post advent children Aerith has come back mm-hmm. and is giving her this information or guiding her or possessing mm-hmm. her or whatever whatever way you want to argue it yeah exactly in that. which case the CRS element of it doesn't apply so mm-hmm. uh, I didn't include it for that reason but there's still the you know I I think remake has the potential to kind of say, well, actually, it's not future Aerith coming back. As genuinely, this Aerith yeah. can can interpret the live stream uh, and see the future that way. If it was a new game, I would agree. However, the original game exists, and there she cannot predict the yeah, future. So... And we go through the same story again, and she suddenly can see the future. There must be something else at play. That's my I, I agree. Main I... reasoning. My, I, I'm totally with you on that one. I, I, I don't think she's seeing the future on her own. I, I think someone mm. is giving her this information. Yep. Um. But yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on in terms of the, the connections that can be made, and some of them are, some of them are wild and speculative, and some of them are, you know, once, once mm-hmm. they're presented, you kind of think, right, okay, that's actually that makes a lot of sense. Mm. So hopefully. Hopefully the book is able to do that for for the readers. That was the intention anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's 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 really good. Really good. Yeah. I also uh, got a, a new kind of a new view on to certain characters and how they placed in the story, so to speak, or in the uh, chain of events mm-hmm. and the lores. And also w- one interesting. Um, or basically almost a no-brainer connection is Genova and Hell. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. But then when you compare a few other characteristics, then I can also see Genova being connected to Loki because of the shape-shifting yeah. and the three children, Sephiroth, Genesis, and then Geo. That's true, yeah. And if you then uh, switch it around and see Sephiroth as hell not mm-hmm. gender wise but just uh, from the, um, like from concept side mm-hmm. um, Sephiroth is kind of the yes it's Genova that uh, that kind of initiates the reunion 
instinctively. But Sephiroth is, is the one who wants um, the black material, uh, yeah, the black material, and all this other thing. So he's kind of the one sitting in the underworld, in the live stream, in the after uh, afterlife, and directing uh, his army of whatever mm -hmm. undead or something in the in the, the game. It's the black robed yeah. people yeah. towards a goal. So there is also this parallel I yeah, saw, nice. which is pretty interesting. So you can interp interpret it this way, but also the other way. Oh, it's, I'm, yeah, I'm totally with you on that one. And um, even even if you look at Loveless and Genesis's thing about like the the wanderer, the prisoner, and the hero, mm -hmm. the Gen Genesis yeah. considers himself the prisoner, which was the whole thing about Fenrir that was tied up on an island. Oh right, yeah, that's true. Yeah, which effectively leaves Angel to be a giant snake. Well, I'm sure we'll, we'll yeah. find a parallel there somewhere. <laughs> uh, parallel I can see is that he's the one that's mostly connected to the human world, like the most grounded mm. one. True. Maybe. But that's the, that's the only parallel I could see. <laughs> and the Traveler and Sephiroth is the hero? Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you both have seen uh, one of the newer... Uh, videos of Final Fantasy Peasants where he, he talks about also about Loveless and there he also proposes that it's not like this character is the traveler, this is the prisoner and this is the hero but each character, not just uh, those three but uh, also our main hero or main cast and the others all go through a yeah. journey they're, they start off as the prisoner then they become the traveler oh. and eventually uh, uh, emerge the hero. This is a, a good theory yeah Mm. Interesting and fits pretty well as as he explains. And the interesting thing is, I didn't really, mostly just, just don't didn't really talk or um, think about this. But while watching his video, when I saw those three words above each other, on top of each other, I thought, well, what about each one of them goes through all those stages? And lo, behold, a few minutes yeah. later, he talks about this. <laughs> it's it's really cool. <laughs> Yeah, I like Pez's ideas. They're they're so off the wall, but they're really interesting. Really, really well thought mm, out. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. They're very entertaining. The Final Fantasy fifteen, yeah, uh, stuff that he came up with, which actually ended up being way more interesting than what we yeah. thought. And I was just like, Square Enix, you need to hire him because honestly, like when that game, I was waiting for it to come out, and he was doing all of these like lore videos and talking about everything just making connections and mm -hmm. trying to make the story make sense because when it first came out it was like a broken story it didn't really it did make sense but anyway he, was, he yeah, made so much want. sense of it and then he went further and i was just like i am buying everything that you are selling <laughs> right now like i was all for it. i'm like sub follow yes please give me more of this and eventually it just ended up being way better than what we ended up getting. And I'm just like, I was so disappointed because I was like, I wish that it was what he was saying it was. Yeah. <laughs> mm. for, for 15 specifically, uh, there was so, so much missing mm -hmm. and so much glossed over. It was, was a shame. Yeah. Because it had potential. Yeah. I, I've, mm -hmm. I've got a really bizarre relationship with 15 that I haven't actually played it all the way through. But I've, I've met so yeah. much of the cast. And I, I know I know so much of the game as a result of that. Um, <laughs> like um, the only the only one of the main characters I'd never met was uh, Gladio, 
the the actor of Gladio. Right. Oh right, yeah. He's pretty an elusive one. Mm. I I get gather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's. Uh, it's it's been really really bizarre. Like just through through CoopaCon, um, just being so heavily invested mm-hmm. in the game despite never playing the game. <laughs> yeah. It's a really strange feeling, I guess. I didn't replay it after everything was patched and they released all of the extra content. I played it um, when it first came out, beginning to end, and I played the DLC episodes and I enjoyed those, but I didn't really want to go back and replay it again, beginning to end after the royal extra. It was was the royal edition that I played and I I, I found that a challenge as well, so I can't imagine what it must have been Mm -hmm. like at the beginning. (laughs) <laughs> it was very difficult to figure out what was happening but um you know like like i said with uh with uh peasant stuff i was able to kind of like understand what was happening and then kind of form my own understanding mm-hmm. and reason for like why i was doing what i was doing and why the characters were doing what they were doing and all this stuff. So anyway, it ended up making sense for me inside of my mind anyway, by the time I finished it, but I wasn't going back to it after I, after I finished it, I had sunk so much time into it that I was just like, and there was more games coming out and I had waited for that game for so long and it wasn't versus 13, which is what I wanted. It was Mm -hmm. never going to be that. So I was just happy that it came out and it was a fun experience for what it was. For sure. I could appreciate that fact that, they were able to, like, Tabata was able to actually salvage it and release a game. You know, like, I was, I was happy about that. But yeah. yeah it, 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 he did the best he could, I guess. With what he had, yeah. With what he had, yeah. But I'll always wonder what Versus 13 would have been, and maybe we'll end up getting that with... Um, uh, Verum Rex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or... With Loveless, maybe we'll get some kind of like a musical theater <laughs> um, video game spinoff after remake is complete. Yeah, who knows? And it'll who be knows? like yeah. <laughs> versus thirteen as a musical, which is what ultimately he wanted. But they were like, "No, yeah. <laughs> you are not making that." <laughs> that was fun, why not? Man. I feel like it would be wildly uh, popular, especially now with all of these different types of genres of games, you know, that are coming out. So. Mm. All right, so one little last question. Um, <laughs> I was I was always wondering because you found so 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 many parallels and uh, allusions and just so many connections between Norse myths and Final Fantasy VII story and lore. Do you think that all of it was deliberate and you found it, or that maybe half was deliberate and the other one was kind of luck that it fit? Or maybe mostly luck and and uh, not Jima just used the main um, parallels, the main connections, and the rest just happened to unfold the same because storytelling tends to just repeat and repeat over the ages so that uh, two people can write stories completely separate from each other, and if they have a, a certain ba- same the same basis, the stories might. Uh, flow into the same direction even without knowing about each yeah. other what do you think um i would i would maybe place it about 50 50 50 deliberate 50 just pure chance um you know i, I do recognize in the book that an awful lot of it is interpretation an awful lot of it is speculation mm. 
there are some things that are very clearly lifted directly from mythology. Um, oh, for sure, you know, yeah. like the, gold saucer. Yeah, I mean, the, the the gold saucer one is one. The the Midgard being the center of um, the sort of political world, the economic world, mm, like that—that's yeah. not coincidence. Um, Nibelheim mm. and how Nibelheim looks in that is the core of a lot of things that that started in the association with death. Like that—that's not an accident. Um, so there's there are many. Um, you know, again, other than other than the Zolom's name, like its its actual location or its proximity to Midgar, that's not an accident mm-hmm. sort of thing. Definitely, um, yeah. and I think because uh, all these things had been introduced, like specifically using Fenrir to represent Cloud's grief, and quite a lot of mm-hmm. associations there that. You know when that was introduced in Advent Children, that's that's not an accident either. Um, the the association with with sort of Genesis and the the apples of rejuvenation. The apples of rejuvenation are a common motif across um, mythology. Like you, you could mm-hmm. basically change a few names and write exactly the same thing about Greek mythology. Yeah. <laughs> so that you know that's that's certainly not exclusive. Um. So there's there there are quite a few things in there that I don't think are um that I don't think are anywhere near a mistake because uh, Nijima mm-hmm. and Katasi in particular, like a lot of the, the very early story was surrounded or or, or based around Nibelheim, based around Midgar. So mm-hmm. you can tell from that that that's where the foundation was. The foundation was. I'm going to lift information from from Norse mythology, um, but there's the I think that there's there's quite a lot like like I said the whole thing about Odin and the connection to castles like that's not an isolated incident or an isolated case. There are so many mm-hmm. recurring themes or recurring mm-hmm. characters or recurring monsters, and these are all associated with particular things like across the franchise. And like I touched on earlier, that all goes back, and a lot of it's derived from Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons, but Dungeons and Dragons itself right. is derived from global mythology. So mm-hmm. you know, while yeah. while it's kind of it's one step removed when it gets to Final Fantasy, it it still does have its origins in real world mythology. So I think Najima in particular and his interests took that idea and expanded. On it and expanded on this idea of Final Fantasy is already established as having all these connections to real world mythology, but we're going to we're going to build on that. Like, mm-hmm. and an example, you know, I, again I touched on he's he's got a background in Greek mythology. You know, it's not like the Greek the Greek origin story or, or one of the the main Greek origin stories is the story of how the Titans came into existence. With mm-hmm. uh, Ur- mm, Uranus right, and Gaia, yeah. right? So yes. it's it's no it's no coincidence that the meteorite that struck the planet right. that Gaia's cliff, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. the the meteorite, you know, it goes on to, you know, the, the, there are sort of loose connections um, where the mm-hmm. meteorite was carrying Genova, so you've then got this malevolent 
calamity from the sky. Uranus is the sky god who was at, mm-hmm. you know, up until the point where he was castrated, he was he was a villain in, in Gaia's eyes. And you then end up in a situation where, you know, um Uranus is, is swallowing his offspring and they're they're kinda of buried deep inside or um he's you know, Gaia gives birth to like the Hecatonkiers or the, the Cyclopes. And and they mm-hmm. have to go deep into the underworld and all this sort of stuff. You know, that's a reference to weapon. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So, you, you know, like, like I'm saying, we're in a situation where you can clearly see Greek mythology coming into play, you can clearly see Norse mythology coming into play. So it's not... Mm-hmm. It, it can't possibly be... You know, all of it is just a coincidence. It can't possibly be that, particularly because Najima himself came from a company where he had just made three games specifically about Greek mythology. Like, do right, you know? so, yeah. um, so in answer to your question, yes, a lot of it is luck. A lot of it is me interpreting things, and a lot of it is me speculating. But there is a very core grounding of Najima himself has this background in mythology which he has implemented into Final Fantasy 7 and the reason Final Fantasy Mm -hmm. 7 is so different from the rest of them is that up until that point the mythology is based on Dungeons and Dragons but 7 changed that it went directly for the source yeah (laughs) yeah so Mm -hmm. that's that's my feelings on why why the book works is is that mm-hmm. there is actually so much of it that you can directly prove came was lifted from mm-hmm. mythology. So the re- the rest of it, if if the core if the core elements were lifted directly from mythology, then everything else that seems to be connected on the balance of probabilities might actually be connected. Mm-hmm. I also have a feeling that he is very much influenced automatically without sometimes even knowing that, that that's probably why mm-hmm. so many connections still work while maybe some uh, looser connections or not so obvious connections might not have been intentional from the yeah. start mm-hmm. so yeah i think it's it's really cool because this also this is also great for for um theorists and uh analyzers and uh, lore people because then you can see the connections much better and have uh, or receive a better understanding of how everything works together maybe even make better predictions yeah. based on that i mean like mm-hmm. yeah and and it never really went away for Najima either like the the Jima wrote the uh, fabula nova crystallis mythos oh right that's um, true, yeah. which which covers the the 13 trilogy type 0 and 15 mm-hmm. and you can see mm-hmm. um you know, in, in thirteen in particular, you just you just have to give the example of like lightning, her idol and his Odin, mm. and uh, yeah. you know after she she after um, the events of Final Fantasy thirteen, she ends up in the, the sort of the the space between the afterlife and the real world called Valhalla. Mm-hmm. Mm, um, yes, you know, and yep. it, you know, there's there's so much, <laughs> or even. The, the entire point of um, Fang and uh, Vanille at the end, yeah. you know, combining to be Ragnarok. Our Ragnarok. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So he, 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 <laughs> even crazy. if those elements themselves, or even if the, the Ragnarok and the Odin elements weren't written by Nojima, 
the fact that they've introduced Valhalla as you know the this you know it's such a central piece of the over mm-hmm. or the, the the Final Fantasy thirteen lore. You know it it never went away or or Niflheimer showing up again in in Final Fantasy fifteen, and as you're arriving in Niflheimer, it's surrounded by frost and mist because of the Shiva mm-hmm. connection. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's yep. <laughs> you know there there are so many things that are, are still present that are are directly yep. connected to actual mythology, not the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. It's so fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's my take. That's my take. I I think it's mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is deliberate. Yeah, that's that's really good take. And it's uh it makes him much more it's it makes him seem or look much more competent. Yeah. Rather than just stumbling through mythology and just throwing in some parallels and you got lucky that everything fits. No, it's mostly it's probably deliber- deliberate deliberate. Yeah, as my, my dream is actually to sit down with him one day and say, look I wrote this entire book about your ideas. Or is any of it correct? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> and it can uh, can make a circle or a cross where it's uh, right or wrong. <laughs> but I mean, like uh, the That'd be awesome. one one example that does is a kind of weird a weird idea. Is like, do you know the whole thing about Gotterdammerung? Kind of, yeah. So. In Final Fantasy uh, 7, the original game, Cloud's ultimate weapon is the Ultima weapon, but that's kind of a secret weapon. You have, you have, mm-hmm. to, you have to kind of defeat the ultimate weapon to, to get that one. So if you don't go on that side mm-hmm. quest, the last, the last sword that you pick up, the most powerful sword that you pick up, is Ragnarok. Yeah. Oh, I, I remember now. Right, it's just this one, yeah. So Rag- Ragnarok comes from Norse mythology, where it's it's the Norse apocalypse. Mm-hmm. At the end of remake, if you fight um, Pride and Joy prototype and defeat it, that the best weapon that you can get, or the best item you can get in the full game, is Gotterdammerung. Now Gotterdammerung mm-hmm. means Twilight of the Gods, mm-hmm. and. It is lifted from the fourth part of Richard Wagner's operatic saga or cycle, which is based on an earlier Germanic tale um, called the the Nibelungenlied. Mm-hmm. The Nibelungenlied is directly lifted from the Norse sagas, so. Ragnarok means Doom of the Gods. Gotadamarong is a variant of the story that was turned into a 19th century opera called Twilight of the Gods, but it follows the mm, same beats. I see, yeah. Right? So Ragnarok, or Ragnarok has been remade into Gotadamarong. And mm. the, the last item you get and remake is named after Cloud's with the exception of the Ultima weapon with Cloud's strongest sword and the defeat of Proud Claude at the end of remake uh, sorry, the end of the OG so Pride and Joy prototype 
is the prototype of Proud Quad. You defeat Proud Quad, Definitely, you get yeah. Ragnarok. You defeat Pride and Joy prototype, you get Gotodamarong. In the remake of the original. So. Yeah, it's pre- pretty nice uh, parallels so there. So we're now in a situation of, that's not a coincidence. That's very, very deliberate. Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> Therefore, they still know about these connections with Norse mythology. So if that is present in the game, you have to assume that the understanding or the overall understanding of Norse mythology is still present in the writing. Yeah, for sure. Which is why I think it will come into play further down the line. Mm-hmm. And obviously when part two drops and they still call the Zolom the Zolom, that mm-hmm. will completely derail my argument. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, there, I, I, there's too much. There's too much in there. There's, and, and it's mm-hmm. it's very specific for mm-hmm. it to be um for it to be coincidence. For sure, yeah. And I'm glad because otherwise this book wouldn't exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> All right. So that concludes today's episode of the Reunion Podcast. I just want to take a second to say thank you so much, MJ, for joining us today for the podcast. It was so incredible getting to know you as a writer, as a person. And also um, to be able to talk to you about, you know, Final Fantasy VII Remake, the final trailer, and also kind of pick your brains about any theories that, you know, you might kind of be subscribing to at the moment in time. So I just want to say thank you so much. It was so awesome having you here. So thank you again for taking the time out to sit with myself and Viz today. That's my pleasure. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Um... You know, as I said, I've been a massive fan of the show for a long time. Uh, it's so good to, to be able to, to have this conversation, uh, to, to discuss this um, with you guys. And yeah, I'm, I'm massively grateful for, for being invited. You're welcome. Welcome. It was uh, really great to have you on, definitely. It was an mm-hmm. extremely fun conversation. Learned a little bit more now. Learned mm-hmm. a little bit Me of if you're, uh, uh, you're coming to be where you are now. Was also yes. very interesting. Yeah, in general, I I also always love to to directly speak to people that I only briefly talk to or get to know in in the community. So mm-hmm. this this podcast is really a, an extremely good opportunity for me to to do that. Yeah? Otherwise, I'm just working yeah. on my stuff. Maybe mm-hmm. check on the CCO uh, <laughs> Discord a little bit and watch other people uh, create content. That's about it. But actually being involved in the community now with uh with kai the reunion podcast here and mm-hmm. now al- already the second time last saturday with uh sharing his baby seal and probably more in the future more to come wink wink he, yeah <laughs> now mo- most uh, he he said he, he likes having me on so i'm pretty sure i'll be invited Definitely. back on and you as <laughs> and you as well mo because uh i, I think he also uh, likes having you on i'm mm-hmm. not surprised yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you should have. Uh, he he should have us both on there for some lore stuff. I've, I really really enjoy speaking with Baby Seal, so I'm. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. It's really enjoyable. Yeah. Jump at the chance to be back on again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So if you have any ideas for upcoming episodes, you can write us at the reunion podcast at gmail.com. That's the reunion podcast at gmail.com. 
go ahead and join our Discord server. So we do have a Discord server and the link is provided in the description of each episode. So all you have to do is go ahead and click on that and you will be automatically added to our Discord server to continue the conversation about this incredible game. And why wouldn't you want to do that? And also, why aren't you already doing that? <laughs> we do have a Twitter profile. It's at reunion underscore podcast. We do have a Facebook page. It's reunion podcast. And we do have a YouTube channel as well. It's The Reunion Podcast, and we do post all of our audio-only episodes to our YouTube channel as well for you guys to listen to. I just want to remind everybody that we are doing an amazing giveaway right now. We are giving away a digital deluxe edition of Final Fantasy VII Remake integrated to one lucky listener. So here's what you have to do. Go follow us on Twitter at Reunion underscore podcast. Retweet or quote tweet the original giveaway posting that's actually pinned to the top of our page. And then also the winner will be drawn uh, the day before Intergrade releases. So on June the 9th. So be sure to check out our socials on June 9th for the announcement of the winner. We are also giving away a signed copy of MJ Gallagher's book, Norse Myths, that inspired Final Fantasy VII to one lucky listener. And it's the exact same process as our digital deluxe edition giveaway. So follow us on Twitter, retweet, quote tweet, and we will announce the winner in two weeks from the date that this episode is released. All right, Viz, so did you want to go ahead and drop your socials for Cosmo Canyon Observatory? Yeah, for sure. Um, on YouTube, main channel is uh, Cosmo Canyon Observatory, of course. We have a Discord that's called the same. There's uh, a link on our on our uh, YouTube page in every video and also in the bio of our Twitter account, which is at CC underscore observatory. Perfect. And MJ, did you want to go ahead and drop your socials as well so people can check you out? Sure. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter at FFVII novels, all one word. Um, anyone who's looking for some additional content, uh, most of which is available uh, totally free. All, all of my novels, um, the, with the exception of the Norse Myths one, uh, is uh, also available to, to download totally free off my Patreon account, which is uh, patreon.com forward slash mjgallagher, uh, and some of my YouTube videos as well, um, which is just youtube.com forward slash mjgallagher, uh, and Norse Myths that inspired Final Fantasy VII is available uh, in paperback and uh, ebook on Amazon uh, worldwide and very soon we'll be dropping on uh, as a hardback as well. Nice. All right, so once again, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us, Mo. It was incredible having you here and I really enjoyed our conversation today. So thank you so much. Likewise, guys. Take care. Yeah, take care, everyone. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.